Hey, folks, you're about to listen to our latest episode of Daily Wire Backstage. It's with me and Andrew Clavin and Michael Moles, who's terrible, and God King Jeremy Boring. We're going to talk about all the things you want to know. We're going to answer your questions from Daily Wire subscribers. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Fake laugh in three, two, one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you. Welcome to the Daily Wire Backstage 2019 Prediction Special, where we will tell you with absolute certainty what will happen this year, starting with me exercising my well-known gift for clairvoyance, a prediction that I have not yet voiced anywhere else. You will have heard it first right here. Prediction 2019, Elizabeth Warren will seek the Democratic nomination for president. No way. Uncanny. Am I right? Uncanny. Am I right? I don't buy it. Smoke and peace pipe. What do you think her chances of winning are? Well, if I had to guess, I think I'd say it's about one twenty (laughs) twentieth. I'm sorry, I was reading the president's Twitter feed today, so I just... Yeah, yeah. We're allowed to laugh at it, right? I think we're allowed to laugh at it. I was told I was not allowed to laugh at it. It's, it's very not funny. It's not very funny. Not funny for the because, because wait, 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 the president... wait, wait, wait. Just so people know, the president tweeted our meme. Right. Yeah. right? What's not funny about that? <laughs> That's right. But it's, it, it's not funny because it degrades conservatism to have a president who tweets this sort of stuff. My favorite thing that happens on Twitter now, by the way, yeah. the best thing Donald, of 2018. You heard that Donald Trump is president, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is my point. It's like, it's like somebody's tweeted. Somebody said to me today, they were like, okay, so if Obama had done this, you would have been so angry. But Trump did it and you're laughing at it. It's like, great, because they're two different humans. Right? Like, I, have a, I have a four-year-old daughter, and I have a two-year-old son. And my two-year-old son sits on my shoulders and then hits me on the head. And I, I get mildly angry. If it were my four-year-old daughter, I get a lot more angry. They're very, very different human beings. If, if President Obama, who aspired to be Nelson Mandela, were tweeting out this sort of stuff in fully hypocritical fashion, I'd be a lot more angry than Donald Trump, who aspires to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And he's actually achieved his life he's goal, right? I mean, he's WWE. in the WWE Hall of Fame. Whereas Obama was never Nelson Mandela and did say this kind of stuff on a quasi-regular basis. Absolutely. So it's, yeah. we're allowed to laugh. Come on, if you can't laugh at this stuff. And, and the president is tweeting our memes. I mean, let's get, let's get so down to the funny. basic the thing. The is so funny. Come on. My favorite thing, though, on Twitter now is that no one will let you, let you make a joke about anything. Yeah. Yes. And one of the things that they always say is, was that some sort of attempt at a joke? Like, there are no attempts at jokes. <laughs> it may not have been a very good joke, but I fully made it. Yeah, you know, it's... we're living. We're living in a quiet place. I said. I said this on the show. We're living. We have to keep your voice down because otherwise they come and get you. You know? <laughs> 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 tear you to pieces. You know. Yeah, the only way to survive is. Is, is, to is it bird box or is it or is it a quiet place? I think a bird box is a quiet place with blindfolds or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And now, they, do you know this? They have the bird box challenge where they're telling people to send out. Uh, videos of themselves blindfold, doing ta- ordinary tasks blindfold, and people are getting hurt. Uh, what? I, you know, it's like Darwin. Can we tell? Can I, we tell everybody to walk into traffic? <laughs> it's like Darwin. Well, we can't do that on Twitter. You can't do that on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. And it's threatening and then, self harm. That's right. Self harm or the harm of others, which we learned a lot about today. Also, <laughs> we'll get to that. But right. first, uh, I'm going to continue with these scripted introductions. <laughs> <laughs> I am Jeremy Boring, known around these parts as the God King, Laura Case, Lower. Uh, lowercase g, lowercase k. By the way, it's always important to Drew that I point out it's God King of the Daily Wire. Yes. Right. I'm not, not like a general. I'm not a general guy. Right. Not of no. Egypt or yeah. China. No. Exactly. I have no actual power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also joining me today, as per usual, these three muckety mucks right here: Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, hosts of the Ben Shapiro Show, Andrew Clavin Show, and Michael Knowles Show, respectively. Oh, wow. Did I, I, right? I think I well, that right. Uh, and yet, uh, only one of these fellas 
has had the honor of being Twitter banned because of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yes, that's right, Brussels sprouts. And I'd do it again in a heartbeat. As always, we're graced by the lovely and talented Elisha Krauss, who not only brings the sole semblance of professionalism to the show, she also brings your burning questions to us. Hot off the internet, Elisha. In defenses of Brussels sprouts that are delicious with honey and broiled. There, I said Can we cut her mic? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I get fired over that and Michael hasn't been fired over, oh, I don't know, all the Michael things, I will revolt. She has a fair point. (laughs) Hey, guys, it's going to be a fun night. And for everyone watching at home, if you want to send us those really interesting questions that you have, just type them in in the chat box on the Daily Wire live stream over at dailywire.com. And remember, only subscribers get to ask those questions. So if you're not a subscriber, Subscriber, first of all, why not? Did somebody in your life not love you and didn't get you a subscription <laughs> for Christmas? How dare they? But if you're not a subscriber and you're like, hey, I want to give myself a belated Christmas gift, head on over to dailywire.com, click on the red subscribe button at the top of the page to, to become a subscriber tonight, and then get all those questions in, and I'll be tossing them to the guys. Alicia, thank you. And as I uh, continue down the path of smoking this delicious Rocky Patel, who, by the way, sent us like, an ashtray and some delicious yeah, cigars delicious and this actual lightsaber. I, I may go after Darth Vader with this thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I Very can't. kind of them. We are uh, suckers for free cigars around mm-hmm. here. We will not do a free ad for anything. Like, literally, I've had family members who write to me and they're like, Jeremy, you know. The I mean, rent's due. The, the, yeah, old, old Uncle Tom needs Granny's, this. You, know, not a chance. you send us a cigar. Oh, yeah. Anything. You, I'll, I'll wear your, I'll tattoo your name on my face. I don't care. <laughs> so we're going to be talking, uh, doing something that we haven't done before. Typically, the show is not especially uh, political. We get into the, the deeper things, the finer things, the philosophical. Uh, but we are going to do a rundown uh, of the news. This is because the only one of us with an actually successful uh, podcast <laughs> suggested that what people want to hear about from these political pundits is uh, politics. We're going to test it with like 15 minutes uh, on politics. But first, uh, we're going to talk about Policy Genius, who makes it possible for us to. I actually don't want to blame them for what they make. <laughs> <laughs> Policy Genius, who provides it's not their a, fault. a great product, a wonderful yeah. service. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly right. So, Policy Genius, you know, I've been thinking a lot about death these days. One of the reasons for that is because I am deathly sick and also because I want to die having to be here an extra two hours today with these gentlemen. But thinking about death makes me think, fair. you know, fair. perhaps I should have life insurance. And fortunately for me, I do because I'm a foresighted, you know, rational human being. But you should also be a foresighted, rational human being. You should also have some life insurance, and that's where Policy Genius comes in. Getting life insurance is one of the more intimidating parts of becoming a full-fledged adult, so if you're into adulting or other misuse of nouns as verbs, <laughs> then perhaps you should go check out Policy Genius right now. They have a website that makes it easy for you to compare quotes, get advice, and get covered without extra fees or commissioned sales agents. You can apply online. The Policy Genius, Policy Genius advisors handle all the red tape. They negotiate your rate with the insurance company. In minutes, you can compare quotes from all the top insurers and find the coverage that you need at a price you can afford, all part of their best price guarantee. They don't just do life insurance. They also do disability insurance, homeowner's insurance, auto insurance. They, they help you with all these things. If you've been intimidated or frustrated by insurance in the past, if you're like Drew and you're close to death and you're just looking for <laughs> another possible it's life a, insurance it's, policy. It's a, it's a pre-existing condition with me. Yeah? Then, that's <laughs> then go check out policygenius.com right now. Again, in minutes, you can compare quotes and apply. You can do the whole thing on your phone right this very instant. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Go check out Policy genius right now. And again, I'm grateful that I already have policy genius so that if I commit suicide halfway through today's show, <laughs> then presumably I'll have some sort of coverage. There's usually You're an exemption. Get there, is there, can be no, there can be no, no suicide, su- no suicide jokes. No. Right? We're not allowed to make suicide jokes. So it is true that today uh, I was banned 
uh, by Twitter for uh, 12 hours, although it wound up being for about 45 minutes. This was for the best reason. Yeah, I was banned because Daily Wire's uh, uh, senior editor, Emily Zanotti, uh, made the biggest fake news tweet of 2018, uh, coming in like right down to the wire on the 31st. She said that the best recipe for Brussels sprouts, if you maybe you grew up uh, not liking to eat vegetables, the best mm. recipe for Brussels sprouts is something with olive oil and butter and honey and the, honey and the disgusting, yeah. disgusting. The disgusting. I retorted that the, uh, an even better recipe for Brussels sprouts: a little salt, a little pepper, a dash of paprika. Mm. Then you do a splash of Worcestershire shot sauce. Uh, you brown a little bacon in a mm. cast iron skillet, yeah. then you throw it all away and sear your face off <laughs> because that would be better than eating Brussels sprouts. That's, that's fair to me. Yeah. I, wake exactly. up, I wake up this morning with, with an alert from Twitter saying, I'm not kidding, that there are people in this world who care about me and that mm. I am not alone. Uh, and a link to a suicide hotline because, no. uh, because they had determined that I was a, uh, a danger mm. to myself uh, and was advocating people harm themselves uh, over this tweet. Now, I've always I've always felt you're a danger to others, yeah. but I've never felt <laughs> you're a danger to yourself. Yeah, absolutely to others. Are you kidding me? <laughs> have you ever seen me in a kitchen? It's just, <laughs> uh, fortunately, I have a, a, a friend even more uh, famous, successful uh, than myself, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> who, was, who was able to intercede on my behalf. Uh, and the, 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 the lords of Twitter uh, decided that, in retrospect, my joke about not eating leafy green vegetables... <laughs> was, in fact, a joke about not eating leafy green vegetables. You know, but, and, not, you know, and not an actual encouragement of suicide. Not an encouragement you know, of suicide. It, it's, yeah. it's funny, but it's not... I mean, you're, you're funny. Your part is funny, but they're not funny. This is no. not funny. This is, yeah. to me, one of the biggest stories of last year, that they are on the warpath. Yep. This never happens to left-wingers. Never happens to liberals. Oh, no, Drew, it was just an accident. It was, an accident. A, it was a bot. But, but the it was thing an about accident. It is, the thing about it is, even though they restore you, and even though you can appeal to Jack and he, he puts you back, it makes you think twice about what you say, and yeah. that's the point. That's right. That is the point. It's just you know, I had some, I had some great material about asparagus. Forever. I mean, the, and, and, and it, it really is the, the key is that it probably was a mistake. It probably was some agent who was just an idiot who yeah, did yeah. that. But when you flip a coin a hundred times and it keeps coming up heads that's over right. and over and yeah, over and over, right. at a certain point you think the coin is rigged because it's because it is. I mean, there's there's no chance that if somebody on the left had had been hit with a warning about this sort of thing, that the agent would have said, you know what, I'm going to hit that suspend button for 12 hours. Clearly, this person is a threat to themselves or others. But I'm sure that the person had heard of Jeremy or had heard of us yep. and was like, well, they're conservative. I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And if if Jeremy and I were not friends and Jeremy were just resign, relegated to the obscurity, which he so richly deserved, <laughs> the, the chances that the, the chances that that Twitter ever would have gotten back to him or heard about it or recanted are pretty close to zero, right? Jeremy yeah, would right. still be banned. He'd still be I mean, suspended. I don't have a blue check mark. Right. This is an outrage. That is, that's, that is this, an outrage. Is an outrage. You, are, you are, after all, I am my chihuahua <laughs> is a blue check mark on Twitter. You deserve I, a blue check mark. I am, I am certifiable, but not verifiable. <laughs> <laughs> but as, it, it does speak to you know how the left, quote unquote, tolerates humor. I mean, obviously, the most the most high-profile example, this is what they've been doing to Louis C.K., which is amazing. just yeah. unbelievable. Which, by the way, that material about the shooting hilarious. was funny stuff. It's hilarious. <laughs> of course, it's funny. My favorite thing about that is that he told three jokes that were supposedly offensive, right? He yeah. told the Parkland students joke, which is a very, very funny that joke. It's a funny joke. And then, yeah. he, and then he said the stuff about gender neutrality, which was like, eh, yeah. right? And then, he, and then he made an Auschwitz joke, which was probably the least funny and most offensive of the jokes. Right. And no one cares about the Auschwitz uh-huh. jokes, right? Yeah, that was right. completely yeah. by the way. It's like, ah, the Jews, they can fend for themselves, as always. It's like, oh, well, well they make fun of the Jews. the Holocaust is a big scam didn't really happen. Right, well, that too. Yeah, but that's it's, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for getting us demonetized on YouTube. Appreciate that. Hey, Jack, are you watching? Hey, everybody. So I just want to say for the record, you guys, that um, 
Uh, I don't think people should end their own lives. I don't think people should unjustly mm. take the lives of others. Yeah. And I don't deny that the Nazis were terrible people who committed a great <laughs> atrocity and attempted genocide of uh, too late. Of all Your the Jews of Too late. But too it's, too but, I mean, first of all, Louis C.K. is probably my favorite working comic of the last 20 years. Hmm. Uh, like it, it, his yeah. stuff, his stuff is really, really funny, and it has yeah. been for years. And the fact that he's a personal shambles is like. Number one, no excuses. He's a personal shambles, but He's have comedian. you seen this town? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I, I love all these people in Hollywood. Like, oh, Louis C.K., his mistreatment of women. I've never heard of anything like this, except at everyone at every party <laughs> you've ever been to out here. Have you ever met a comedian yeah. who's like, yes, I'm a very sane person and everything's going to Oh, I've got to be home by life. six for dinner. <laughs> and my there wife and children are not neurotic and deeply happy and yeah. really fulfilled and, mm. and solid citizens is what they're known for. So they, but they couldn't even just say, listen, He's been banished, and we must relegate him to the outer darkness, right? We have to banish him to the cornfield, and he has to stay in the cornfield. He comes back, and he, he makes the mistake of telling some jokes that conservatives aren't going to... Like, if he had come back and started just yelling about George W., yeah. or he come back and started yelling about Trump, oh, of course. no problem. Then it would be like, is it time to welcome Louis C.K. back? Let's have an honest discussion. No, even better about- would be if he had come back and talked about himself, not made any punchlines. Yeah, yeah. Right, the Hannah Gadsby like, version yeah, of humor. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. It's the, it's the Hannah Gadsby the- humor, which is... Comedy is only comedy if you don't laugh at it. The less you laugh at it, the better it is as comedy. Right? We have to rewrite what we've already re- rewritten biology because men yeah. and women don't exist. We've already rewritten language because pronouns are no longer biological. We've already rewritten religion because we have to remove particular books that are too offensive to people. We've already rewritten politics because it turns out that the Senate is supposed to be popularly represented <laughs> yeah, that or something. Was, uh-huh. news, and and yeah. now we're rewriting the definition of the word comedy. So that comedy to mean, to mean tragedy, right? To, to, to mean, to mean yeah. well, actually, just boredom. Yeah. To mean just absolute sheer boredom. Also, why was Louis, Gatsby is why the was least Louis C.K. Human. Why was Louis C.K. banned in the first place? He may have been a pervert, but he always asked permission first. I mean, I don't it know, is, right, that is true. By, yeah. by the left's it's own more standards, than most people here. he had consent. You know, can I? Can I? You know, masturbate? But, uh, so Sunny Bunch, yes, you can. Please. So, so, so by the way, Sunny Bunch had the best take on what exactly Louis C.K. is going to do. I think he's totally right about this. I think that when I, I would not be surprised if this was leaked, and people around Louis C.K. knew it was going to be leaked. And then what his actual comedy routine is going to be is the first half of his comedy set will be all of this kind of conservative-friendly comedy. Mm. And the second half will be, look what terrible people we all are for having laughed at all of this. And I know how terrible we are because I'm a terrible person too. And then you see, and then you see the left have to reevaluate their opinion of Louis C.K. And then he does a full reversal in the second half of his act. I hope that's not true, but it probably I, I, I desperately hope it's not true because, yeah. you know, the, also the, this, this whole, <clears throat> the new Louis C.K. is a curmudgeon. These people were praising him for his transgressive comedy. Right. Five seconds That's what ago. He did. This that was is his exact. Whole yeah, he yeah. does an entire routine, and it is a hysterically funny routine called "Of Course, But Maybe." Have you ever seen this routine? Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. one of the great comedy routines of the last fifteen years, in which he talks about all of these things that are that are deeply taboo, and he says, "Of course they're terrible. Of course they're terrible. But maybe." So, for example, he says, you "Now, if you have a bunch of, of course, of course, it's true that we have all these kids, and they have peanut allergies." And we wouldn't want children in school to be exposed to peanuts and they die of their peanut allergies. So, of course, if you know some kid in the class has peanut allergies, then we should ban all the peanuts and all the peanut-associated products. But maybe if we didn't, then like a generation, there wouldn't be any more peanuts. <laughs> and he, like, is that... So, so like you're telling me that that's... Like, making fun of kids with peanut allergies dying is not off-limits. But making fun of the... Not even the Parkland kids who died, which would be terrible, but making fun of the kids who survived to be on the cover of Time magazine. Right. Mm. That's right. taboo. You, you know where it's, he started to lose them too? Because this has been building with Louis for a while, even mm. before the masturbation scandal or whatever. He told this joke that went viral, where it was an of course, but maybe. So of course, 
abortion is nothing. It's just like using the yes, bathroom. It doesn't yes. matter at all. Either that or it's the killing of a human life. <laughs> and it was one of these, of course, but, yeah. and it went viral and it really started this, uh, I don't know, just a few months later, all of a sudden, every leftist is coming from Bill Burr. I'd become, a, I'd become right. a bit suspicious that this me, the whole Me Too movement is a way of killing off people that they that are getting in their way. Like Bernie Sanders is now caught in this grip. Yeah. All the women right. in his campaign are complaining that they were treated badly and all this. I'm just wondering if they're just trying to get the old man out of the way so they can get to people who might actually win the I, I mean, I think there are certain people who are authentic and sincere oh, about of course, this. Of, of course, course, of course, are, of, course yeah. of course. Well, of course, but we, maybe. We, we, but maybe. <laughs> maybe. There are some people who will, will use any political cover to club their but, political well, you know, it's, it's the, thing, the thing about the Louis C.K. bit in particular, because you bring up that, you said it as a joke, but it's actually important. He actually had consent in every he, instance. He did, that we, yeah. And and people listening at home... He was sick, but he wasn't a rape. That's right. People yeah. listening at home think, who would ever consent to letting a man masturbate in front of you? Never mind the fact that Sarah Silverman and her sister and others say that they did, like, by their own admission, that they consented to it every time. Uh, but the truth is, it's because people don't understand that what Donald Trump said... Uh, in the latter days of the election about grabbing when you're famous, the women will allow you, you to grab them. Uh, he wasn't advocating sexual assault. He right. was saying, when you're famous, women will consent to things well, this that is a story. they would not. That, so this so the average mom, Paul, out in middle America listening to a story about Louis C.K. is like, well, it's just not plausible that someone would let you do these things. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gene uh, uh, Simmons has had sex with 5,000 women while looking exactly like Gene Simmons. And also the, being Gene Simmons. One of the uncovered uh, aspects of the Harvey Weinstein story, I think we all probably agree that Harvey Weinstein should have that guy from No Country for Old Men with a cattle thing and hit him in the heart. You know, no question, yeah. he's a terrible, terrible person. Absolutely. But they're trying to keep him from releasing the emails he got from the women right. he slept with or annoyed. Why? Because they were all willing because they wanted the part in the in yeah. the movie, you know? And I think that that is an untold part of the story. I agree. And you cannot, you cannot, the New York well, Times is, has yeah. tried it. You cannot come out and say, well, yeah, I did it to get the part, but it's just not fair. You know, that's life. Right, well, it, it is amazing how the feminist movement will say that a woman who completely is as promiscuous with her body as she wants to be. If you say that that's maybe a bad decision, right. then this makes you a sexist, an oppressive sexist. You're blaming the victim. But if, she, but if she does all that, and then she decides later that that was a mistake because the guy was bad, then she's, so well, the basically time, she, she, she can go back in time. She's got like the Marty McFly time machine. Yeah, well, and she can the redefine the, the, the New York consent, Times the level of consent. an op-ed saying sometimes yes means no, and men have to be sensitive to that. I thought, not, not me. Yeah. You know, it's like, to me, you know, you speak those words. I mean, I, I, I actually you. agree with that on the, on the moral level. Of that, course. That a man oh, absolutely. Right. And we all but agree with that. Level, level, yeah, yeah, there's but there's no way to enforce that. There's just no enforceable mechanism for that. No, you're asking us to be gentlemen, which I am 100% in favor of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all this is disturbing. Yeah, it's all very disturbing, and it leads to a world where all justice is arbitrary justice. That's the actual worst aspect of all of this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we haven't talked enough about it, I think, uh, about it on the right, that we, we rightly say that the state should be constrained by like, you know, the Constitution, for example, which uh, enumerates what rights, in, in its original intent, enumerated what few rights the government was going to have. Federal government had, the state government had. Yeah. Uh, we do that because we know that an arbitrary exercise of state power uh, is evil. Well, and uh, criminal law is no different. That's still the state determining. Uh, but cultural mores wind up being exactly the same. When you take a modern cultural moment and you rewrite uh, history, 
to judge the people of the past by the standards of the moment that we're in now right. in contravention of the actual circumstances in which they lived, you're committing an egregious injustice against them. You're making the very idea of justice uh, obsolete. It's just and, an arbitrary and this, is, and this is the same thing at the border as if Donald Trump could speak an English sentence, he would explain that when you are basically, I'm sorry, I, I pushed your imagination too far, but, but, but when you say, you know, the border should be governed according to whether I have a sad picture of a child right. in, from Mexico standing there, that is basically saying it's, it's all about your feelings, That's it's all right. about your but compassion. But you know, Donald, compassion Trump, is Donald Trump has a good intuition here because he's a showbiz creature, yeah. which is he knows that when you put the little sad kid at the border, you get that picture, that's very powerful. So he puts the sad mother who's, yes. whose kid was killed by an illegal alien. And we could talk, I mean, one thing I think the right should do, there, there were studies from Fusion, there were studies from, it was reported in the Huffington Post, from Amnesty International. 60 to 80% of women and girls who cross that border illegally are raped and sexually assaulted That's on right. the journey. What about them? Where's that image? Where's that, where's that moral but, case? And why isn't anybody saying, look, you know, pass a law, enforce the law. Instead, you have Chuck Schumer waving a pen around. Yeah. I mean, one of the most shameful moments, I thought, in our political history is Chuck Schumer waving a pen around saying, Trump could solve this with a pen. You go like, yeah, a king could solve it with a pen, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. here we have guys called senators, Chuck. <laughs> you know, and, they, and they pass laws, and that's how we do things. And this is why like, I, I generally oppose decriminalization efforts, so I don't like the decriminalization of marijuana. Uh -huh. Yeah. I tend to have fairly libertarian leanings on this and think that marijuana should be legal. Because you're a huge pothead. Because I'm a huge pothead. <laughs> yeah. uh, but thinking that something should be legal is not the same as thinking that we should not enforce the laws against That's right. while we have them. That's right. Because the state should not be able to arbitrarily determine who gets something enforced upon them and well, who doesn't. When you have that, today, when you yeah. have that, you basically have these banana republics where bribing the guy who makes those arbitrary decisions it's actually yep. the but nobody not, said a word when King Barack decided he was not going to enforce the Defense of Marriage Act. That was that was enlightening. Well, now you, now you bring us now you yeah. bring us to <laughs> Donald Trump's spectacular press conference, his his <laughs> glorious. But before we could talk about that, yeah. we have to talk about uh, dental hygiene, and oh. in particular. Quip. I we, love we, Quip. We, Quip's the best. It's the best. Right, okay, I mean, so yeah. you all yeah. use Quip. I do use Quip. I'm going to confess that I'm the only person here who has not used... Oh, the, you got and that's why you're missing two molars. Show me on it, you guys. Show me on it. Yeah, it's, I mean, the way that you can tell Quip is so great is because there's a horrible picture of me in Vanity Fair. My teeth look fantastic. The teeth look just great, and that's because I use Quip twice a day. Why is Quip so good? Well, it's an electric toothbrush, but it's not just any electric toothbrush. First of all, you don't have to use the stupid charging stand, so it goes dead on you all the time. You stick a battery in the base of it, and it's good to go until the battery dies, which is months and months and months of time. And it has these timed vibrations, so you're going to be I brushing love that. I love that. the yeah. exact right amount of time. Yeah. You're not going to be spending like 15 seconds, and you brush your teeth, and you're done. And then right. it turns out that you end up like Jeremy, toothless and friendless. Instead, you end up with... Aww. Oh, he's, he was friendless before. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you actually brush the appropriate dentist-recommended amount of time. Also, when you go to Quip.com and you use Quip.com slash backstage, you can also get, for a discount, new brush head sent to you on a regular schedule, which means that you're not going to have to worry about the fact that you've been using the same brush head for the last five years, and so that cold you had five years ago is still in danger of roaming around your mouth. I do get attached to them. I don't know what that is. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. I love Quip. Everybody here loves Quip. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com slash backstage right now, you get your first refill pack for free. Again, that's first refill pack free at getquip.com slash backstage. That's getquip.com. 
Facebook.com slash backstage. Go check it out right now and keep your mouth cleaner than the show is. <laughs> I'm legitimately going to get one. You have to you get should. one. And then, and then at next, the next backstage, I'm going to give an honest assessment as to whether or not I like it. And I'm definitely going to like it because they sponsor our show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually... That's honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what sold me on it is we were... It's, it's funny because we actually have conversations. Well, we have, we have conversations about our sponsors sometimes uh, off camera. And just yesterday, uh, Julia, who works here, and Michael and I were talking about how I'm the only human who still uses like a $2 over-the-counter <laughs> like gorilla. What are you yeah. doing? And, you... and Julia said that she had gotten equipped for Christmas because the guys are always promoting it and that it was terrific. And I thought, well, I'd... I'm kind of at this point a jerk if I don't get it. I mean, right. The question is how people can tell the difference between the toothbrush and Julia. Oh, wow. That's, oh, that's not, me too. Oh. This is amazing. Because, you mean because Quip toothbrushes look so cool and sexy? Yeah, is you that go. why? They're sleek and beautiful. That's because right. Julia's like a fish. If she turns sideways, she disappears. <laughs> Julia is, is very petite. She's and, a skinny person. And is a beautiful girl, and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump. Who? Donald oh, Trump, yeah. the president of these United States, yeah. held a press conference. We're going to talk about it, but before we do... Elisha Krauss, oh, who is Alicia. holding a kind of press conference of her own <laughs> in which she talks directly to the people and then tells us what the people said. Alicia, <laughs> what are the people saying? But only the subscriber people, because we're not the United States and we don't have to talk to all the people. <laughs> Speaking of talking to all the people, uh, my conspiracy corner uh, theory is not going to happen in 2019. I thought that Speaker Pelosi might not invite Donald Trump, but you mentioned our next backstage looks like it's going to be State of the Union on January 29th. That tweet just went out a little bit ago. Oh, Speaker my goodness. Pelosi did invite the president. So Tuesday, January 29th, next backstage. If he accepts the invitation. Uh, <laughs> please tell me he doesn't. This is, it's, it's my least favorite spectacle in all of American politics. I actually thought it would be such a win-win if she didn't invite him. Pretty great. I was kind of betting It'd on it. would be great. Yeah. And he could just send a letter. He could do what George Washington used to do. Yes. Yeah. That's right? what he just would send a letter. Yeah. And it would be a Trumpian letter. It would be like, this is the greatest speech you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Fantastic. It's just a thesaurus entry for terrific. <laughs> but we do have questions for from our subscribers. Anthony wants to know, he says that you all of y'all have been discussing your 2019 predictions for United States politics. But what's a hope that you have? for The Daily Wire in 2019. Well, you know mine. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> he said it out loud. If you say it out loud, it can't come that's true. true. Did you know that's that? That's true. If you say it three times, though, a guy... Did I? Did I? Did I just imply it? I was very careful, I think. But, okay, so anybody, anybody have any wishes for The Daily Wire other than the obvious? Well, I, I will say, at, at the risk of... I, I don't think I've ever said anything nice to you, so at the risk of flattering you, I will say that your radio show starts on Monday. I think it's going to be mm. huge. Well, thank you. Huge. I appreciate it. I that's do. very nice yeah. of you. No, you and at the, at the risk of flattering me, my book also comes out this year. So that's happening. <laughs> you know, you but that's not a daily book. I'm, I'm really annoyed about it. You brought your book out. My book, Another Kingdom, is coming out at the same time as yours. You couldn't, like, you scheduled it. I, I want you to give away copies of my book with your book. <laughs> Everyone should just buy the, They should just buy the audio book, though, of Another Kingdom. That, and that's are you good. recording? I'm doing the audio book, baby. You didn't tell me. You I am. I'm doing they, it next week. There you go. None, of these, See, none of these things involve the Daily Wire. Oh, yeah. Sorry. These are your personal projects. I can't believe selfish. <laughs> I don't make any money off of anything you just we'll said. Give you some money. Well, <laughs> oh, man. Alicia, what's next? All right. Well, apparently Jeremy wants Daily Wire to make more money in 2019, so sign up and subscribe. <laughs> and how. This question from Brooke is, everyone has a price, so what do y'all think that the Democrats will ask for if Trump never backs down on the wall in return for the funding of the wall? Um, I don't think they're going to back down. I think he will, so I think it's a moot point. Um, you think he will back down? Yeah, I think that it'll come to a point where he just says, now there's a Democratic Congress, 
to hell with these guys. I have to sign something. I'm the president. I'd be. So, I think it'll be some sort of pittance where he says there's border, there's there's border funding provided, and I'm going to fungibly use that money for a wall. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's I, I mean, I actually the timing of the Syria withdrawal is kind of curious because he positioned the wall as national security. He said we can build it out of the mm. Pentagon, and then all of a sudden he says we're pulling all the troops out of Syria. They've got what is it, fifteen billion allotted for the for the effort in Syria. He was only asking five billion for the wall. That only buys you, I think, a block and a half of the wall. But still, <laughs> he's got three x that. I think it'll be leverage. Uh, to use that Pentagon money for to build the My wall. favorite is when you think there's strategy involved in anything that's <laughs> going on. Strategy. It's, it's one of my favorite things. I want to compliment you on the use of the word fungible, an excellent word, but I think mm. that's exactly what's going to happen. I think they're going to have undesignated money yep. so Nancy Pelosi doesn't have to uh, lose face, but at the same time, Trump can say, oh, I, she can say, well, if you want to waste it on a wall, go ahead. I'd use it for something else, but then it'll I'd say, yeah, well, I'd use it for yeah, these well, poor sick children, and he's yeah. just yeah. an I want a wall that's made of spikes. Yeah. I want it made of children. That was great when he tweeted out the actual picture of the oh, steel yeah. slats, and, yeah. it, and and he had like circled the pointy, and <laughs> that, that was so great. I was just hoping that he would decorate it with the heads of his enemies. <laughs> he did not use the word fungible, unfortunately. No, he did not. Yeah. Is it he puts possible? the fun in fungible. Yeah. I mean, how does the president win in a world where even if he gets the five billion, he will legitimately be able to, as you say, build a block and a half of, of yeah. wall, and that'll that'll be in the moment of political victory. But if two years from now the president's going into re-election and he's saying, we started building a beautiful wall, it is 180 feet longer than it was when I became president, after all this circus, I don't think people are going to buy that. Oh, no, no, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter one iota because he's just going to say, I built I built these three inches of beautiful, gleaming golden wall and my enemies would not have built these three inches of beautiful, gleaming golden wall. That's that's all. I mean, I, like, it's I, getting I just, a little scary, Shapiro. Yeah. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't think there are that many conservatives who deeply care whether he does it or not. I think they care about the the feeling that he wants to do it. I think that so uh, much of politics has become I, about this. I, I think about you're right. this. Yeah. You know, I, I read something. I'm trying to remember from whom today. Saying, I think it was, I think it was Jonathan Chait saying that you know conservatives are not transactional with with President Trump. That they don't mm-hmm. like him for transactional reasons. And I think that's half right and half wrong. He's right in the sense that if he didn't deliver half of his policy proposals, conservatives would probably be okay with that. But the transaction that they're actually into is the feeling that he would like to do that. Uh, Meaning that if he had the power to do it, he probably well, would. I don't know, though. Ask Ann Coulter. I mean, ask Ann Coulter. Coulter. I, I think biggest I, supporters. Listen, I, am, I think that Ann Coulter is the only honest transactional person with regard to President Trump. <laughs> yeah. she, she either, if she got she the wall, the she was going to be happy with him. Yeah. If he was not going to build the wall, then but, she wasn't going to be happy Kevin McDonald over at Manhattan Institute wrote an article in City Journal today or yesterday saying what Trump should do is he should say, okay, forget the wall. Give me money for E-Verify. And then mm. really put them on the spot. But he can't do that because they want to hear that, that word. Yeah. They want to hear the wall, the wall, the wall. Plus, I disagree with E-Verify completely. But your strategic <laughs> point is great. Yeah. Alicia, it is my New Year's resolution. I have hereby resolved, uh, as God King of the Daily Wire, that we will get to a third <laughs> subscriber <laughs> question. Wow. These subscribers actually give us, you guys, their hard-earned mammon yeah, every month. Uh, and, and they get to ask us. So questions. we can serve both the God King and them. <laughs> All right. This question comes from Alex. It's for Ben. He wants to know, do you think the left is going to be so fragmented in 2020 that they won't be able to pull bo- uh, support behind one candidate? Hmm, maybe sounds like the GOP in 2016. And if they can pull support behind one candidate, who do you think it'll be? So number one, I do think there's a natural possibility of a brokered convention for the Democrats. I do think there's the possibility that you see yeah. such a split 
that it's impossible for them to put it together. Because remember, they got rid of the superdelegates and they rejiggered their primary process. So that means yeah. that what you actually could see is a bunch of people with a bunch of different delegates and people actually brokering at the convention mm -hmm. if enough interesting candidates run. Now, I think if I had it's a prediction episode, I will predict that Beto O'Rourke is the nominee. And when all mm -hmm. is said and done, that the media mobilizes behind Beto. Um, Beto is out burning Bernie right now. Uh, and he is he, basically there are three parts of the Democratic Party. There's the intersectional base. There is the kind of old school Democrat Hillary Clinton base that still exists. And there is the and there's the socialist Bernie Sanders side. And you have to have a foot in at least two of those three categories in order to have a shot at the nomination. Well, Bernie is really only in one of those. He's not in intersectionality land and he's not in Hillary land. Right. And if you look at Biden, Biden is really in Hillary land and not very much in Bernie land and not really very much in intersectionality land. Beto is not in intersectionality land, but he is in both Bernie land and traditional Hillary mm, land. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing a pretty good job pandering to intersectionality land as well with the help of, of the media. So I, I think that the enthusiasm is going to be behind him. I think the Bernie missed his mark in 2016. He is an Irishman who self-identifies as Hispanic. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. interesting. It, it actually matters, though. I mean, it really, it really does. If, if his name actually, were Robert O'Rourke, yep. he would be done. That's, that's right. right. But he, he goes by Beto, and so that changes everything. He's, uh, I think that... The Democrats, once they get to the general, they'll, they'll mobilize to stop Trump because Trump is the great unifier. We saw this in, in the 2018 elections. Listen, I mean, we could do right now odds making on the 2020 election. I, I'm pessimistic. I'm pessimistic just because after 2018, you have presidential levels of turnout and Republicans show up. I mean, Republicans did show up in 2018 and we got swamped by nearly nine points in the popular vote. That's that is ugly. I mean, that's it's worse than it was in 2006. I mean, it's really, really bad. Um, and. President Trump's popularity in places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, the, those play, he'll still win Ohio, but I think he's going to have some trouble in a lot of the other swing states. All he has to do is lose like one of those states mm. and, and he's pretty much done. So yeah, if, if I have to put his reelection odds right now, I, I would say that he is like a 40% a chance at, be, at being a winner versus almost any Democrat that comes out of the pack, except maybe Elizabeth Warren, mm. um, but because she's just... Terrible. I, I'm, by the way, I am shocked at how terrible she is. Like, I'm shocked at it. I thought, yeah. like, I, I didn't think anyone, it was possible for anyone to be as terrible as she is. You know but her mechanically drinking beer <laughs> on an Instagram, yeah. like yeah. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. who can act like an authentic 29-year-old because she's authentically 29. Right. Correct. But, but <laughs> Elizabeth Warren being like, Bring me a beer, husband. Yes, my Bring sweetie, me a beer. my darling. My, oh, God, my. He's like, cringe. Uh, yeah. You know what was amazing, too, about her announcement? When she came out and said, I'm forming the exploratory committee, she did that press conference, and one of the first questions, a reporter said, how do you answer the people who like you, they like your policies, but they worry you're not electable because you're a fraud? And she had no answer. Yeah. She's had years to come up with an answer. I she thought, still has none. I thought it was a little stranger that her exploratory committee was a scout who went up to the top of the room <laughs> <laughs> to see if the cavalry was coming. Mm. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you guys think the odds are on re-election right I, now? If you have to peg it now, I'm not I, saying like if, if things change if radically. If I had to peg it now, I would peg it at 50-50. And, and I know that's a little bit... Uh, weaselly. Yeah, weaselly, yeah, but weaselly. I'm not saying my, you're weaselly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah, you're just weaselly. Just thinking it. I think that's the important thing. My news resolution was to be so much nicer than it was last year. I'm not saying you're weasel. <laughs> but, but I but I think the, the reason is a lot of the people, the GOP suburbanites who showed up and didn't like Trump are not going to vote for Kamala Harris. They're not going to vote for Beto O'Rourke and they will show up again and they will vote for Trump in that situation. So that's what raises my hopes for him. The guy, you know, the guy had a great first year. He really did. I mean, when you yeah. look at his achievements, he rolled on that in the second year uh, that he had he th those the things that he did in the first year made the economy take off. And it just depends how crazy he gets, because I really do believe that this Russian collusion thing 
where he has a point, he has a mm -hmm. legitimate point, but I think it's driving him a little nuts. Like he's gotten, he doesn't even promote the things that he's done. He doesn't even go out like any other president would do and say, look, look what I did. You know, I did this stuff. It's all, well, that was the it's thing. all this hyperbole. Like his, 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 first, his yeah. first tweet of the new year, which was the all caps, just, you know, yes. sit yeah. back and enjoy. Sit back and enjoy. Or yeah. whatever yeah. it was. Happy New like Year that. to the, that, even to the only, haters. The only person who's going to do that is me. Is right. Right. <laughs> right. But, the, but the fact that it was in all caps was basically everything. Because the truth is, things are pretty good. Like we all went on vacation. There was a government shutdowns. Did anyone feel like everything was terrible. No. Like when we all logged off Twitter yeah. for five minutes, we're like, eh, you know, everything's kind of great. Feel like the government's yeah. shut down. No, no. The, only, the only thing that'll make you feel bad is uh, turning on social media or looking at your retirement savings account right now. <laughs> right. Because and, and, yeah. the markets. No, the markets have taken a severe hit, yeah. Yeah. and his trade policy does have something to do with that. That's what Apple said today, and I don't think they're completely wrong. But it's But with all of that said, it's the feeling of sheer unadulterated panic that yeah. reeks off the man. Yeah. That is that is really his biggest problem. He's not a he's he doesn't give you a feeling of quietude. What you want in a president, it really is an important thing. Confidence, what yeah. you want in a president, and w, w did have this, yeah. was a feeling like, you know what, I can go to sleep at night. It's not gonna be chaos when I wake up in the morning. Yep. It's just gonna be a normal day, and the sun will rise in the east. Even with Obama, who was awful, he was predictably awful, he was awful in predictable right. ways. Right. And yeah. be and, and what people I think actually want is not to be bothered. We all live at a certain level of stasis in our lives, even if our lives suck. You live at a certain level of stasis. Right? This is why they've done all sorts of social science studies, and what they find is that people, their average level of happiness across the course of their life doesn't change all that markedly. You'll see spikes or you'll see shocks, but it pretty much returns to normal right after the spike sure. or the shock because we're used to a certain level of stasis in our lives. Trump upends the stasis so regularly well, that thing, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel like, like I can't take an hour break without Jim Mattis stepping down. What? I can't take an hour break without Trump tweeting uh, something. <laughs> one of the Jim things Mattis we like being, about him, though. General Mattis being fired. One of the things we like about Trump, though, one of the things I like about Trump is his, his war with the media, who absolutely deserve it. They deserve everything he gives them. But the reason he, it works so well is because he is them. He's the same, he does the yes. same thing. Whenever there's a Republican in government, the press mobilizes to create that exact sense of chaos so that when things actually do go wrong, like the hurricane in New Orleans under George W. Bush, you think it's the end of a long train of chaotic things, but it's not really. It's just the first time they could get their hands on him. They could lay a glove on him. The problem with Trump is he, that he hits back, but he creates the same level of chaos. Right. And so for the gift we get of the press being slapped around, which is a, a joy and a delight to behold, <laughs> we also get this sense that everything is kind of Un unnervingly awful when things are really pretty good. Yeah, yes, however, I will say, because we're in this very shallow moment of culture where politics is everything, where we elected a reality TV star, where all we do is talk politics, we don't talk culture, we don't talk movies, we don't talk religion, I think people want a little bit of excitement. And I think he mm. brings that show business and he brings that excitement. That's and the one good thing about uh, Pelosi taking over right now is he does a lot better against an adversary than he does when it's just him ha running the show. That's he does a lot better. That's interesting take. I like that's that. my yeah. first one. Yeah. I decided it was my, I was going to have one interesting no, I, take. I, I, do, I do think that's true. I think that, I think Trump needs an enemy and he will create enemies if he doesn't have them. He so he's, have he's that a problem he, now. Right. And, and he, he's going to, he's certainly going to have that. But I, I do think that if, there were a, if the Democrats had any brains at all, the biggest we all know this, the biggest mistake they could make is to nominate somebody who's radical and feels like they're going to upend the system. Mm -hmm. The best thing they could do right now is run a Warren G. Harding 1920 return to normalcy campaign. Right. You know, this has yeah. all been they're crazy. They're not going to do that, are they? No, but this, but this yeah. is the point that I'm making, and it, speaks yeah. to, and it speaks to what we're saying, which is that the American people are entertained out at this point. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I really it's think why, this It's is, why if they would just run Joe Biden, I think they'd win fi all 57 states, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> people, people do want to go back 
People don't think in terms of policy. Yes, this is right. That's right. Yeah. They, so no one, no one on our side wants to go back to the policies of the Barack Obama administration. But there are millions of people who would like to go back to just the kind of feeling that even, even Republicans who didn't like things that were happening during the Obama uh, era at least felt like, as you said, it was sort of like there was, a, there was a method to the madness. So in a way, we even sort of resigned ourselves to being in opposition to what the Obama administration was doing. It felt like a steady pressure. Right. Well, it's, it's what the and Joker says in The Dark Knight, right? When, when, the, jo right. when the Joker says, he's, he's not wrong, right? When the Joker says in The Dark Knight that everybody is okay with terrible things happening so long as there's a plan. But when yeah. there's no plan, everybody feels like it's chaos. Mm. Yeah. And, so, and Trump is the Joker, right? He's the guy setting piles of money on fire. And even if things are pretty good, and listen, we are, everybody in this room, I think it is safe to say, wants to see Trump in a second term as opposed yeah. to any of the of Democrats course. that we're currently talking Absolutely. about. Yeah. But, and so when we're saying all this, we're saying all this with the idea in mind that President Trump, if you were to listen to this, just stop. Yeah. Like it's just, just I, I know you think that this is the gal that brung you and you got to dance with the gal that brung you. I mean, first of all, that'd be a unique thing for the president to actually dance with dance the gal with that brought him, right? I mean, that, that, he's never actually done that before. Well, the same but, gal, ben, you he, just said he's listening. That, right. I Don't mean, say he, those things. Fair enough. But, is it, but, it, but the fact that he, he thinks that what got him here was that feeling yeah. of chaos, and that's true. That's a different thing. The, the girl wants to date the bad boy until she decides to get married to him, at which point she wants him to cease riding the motorcycle and hanging around in you dive know, bars. You know, this speaks to Selena Zito's theory, which I think is a pretty good theory, that these wave elections that we keep saying are waves for the other side, they're waves for the Democrats, they're waves for the Republicans, are really the, the country trying to get the car to the center of the road this where most exactly people correct. live, and it's just veering right and left. Well, that's why if, if Obama had governed from the center, yeah. he would have won 80% of the vote in 2012. Ob Obama's, and if Trump, Obama's and if Trump first term is the, the biggest missed opportunity in the last century. I mean, I mean, I know you and I agree that 2012 broke the country. 2012 I think 2012 the country. destroyed the country like in, in so many ways. We took an honorable guy, Mitt Romney, and we just yeah. trashed him. Mm. And then, and it trashed Romney, too. Trashed Romney, right? I mean, too, yeah. you can see that from that op-ed this week. These days, yeah. right? it's, it, it, yeah. No, we can get to Romney in a second. Yeah. Yeah. First, <laughs> in a bad economy, uh, there, as, as Daily Wire God King, the guy who's responsible for making sure you all get paid, <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the tricks getting you all paid is a concept that I uh, that I made up when I was skipping college. And I was thinking, if you want to make it in business, if you want to make it economically, if you want to uh, have more than you used to have, and this is what I came up with. It's called buy low, hmm. sell high. This is why he's the guy. <laughs> I got to write that down. Right now, <laughs> right now, the market is down. Buy, buy low. Yeah. But where could you do such a thing? <laughs> Robin Hood. Ah, right. The, the fact is that if you are looking to invest, then you actually have to know something about investment. And one of the ways to get to know about investment is to actually invest your money at least a little bit and, yep. and play with the market and get to learn the market. And that's where Robin Hood is really great. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. There are a couple of people in the office who we work with who use Robinhood, and they've showed me how the app works. It really is beautiful and provides you all sorts of great information. It has a no-commission-fee cost structure, so you're not mm -hmm. losing all the profits on the trades that you are making. It'll give you all sorts of data as well, easy to understand charts, market data. You place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. It'll aggregate groups for you, so if you're interested in things like the 100 most popular or entertainment sectors, it'll group lists for you and then give you a buy, hold, sell rating for every stock. So it's giving you all sorts of information 
to play with. And you learn by doing. I mean, this really is true. It's true at every job you've ever held. You learn by doing. The same thing is true when you're trading in the market. Robinhood right now is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up right now at dailywire.com. Sorry, dailywire.robinhood.com. That's dailywire.robinhood.com. Go check it out right now. I've looked at the app. It really is beautifully constructed. And again, that no commission fee structure is really spectacular. Dailywire.robinhood.com. Great way to learn to invest. Yeah. And uh, tell them that uh, the God King told you to buy low. Good <laughs> <laughs> time to get some Apple stock. Actually. It is a good this is actually one of the great benefits of Robinhood is I'm financially illiterate mm -hmm. and it's, it teaches you along the way. You actually- He actually, has yes. literally well, no I, skill set. I, I, <laughs> I know. It's, it, it, <laughs> but he fails up. <laughs> this is why, you know, as, as we all know, my wife takes care of me. I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And if she didn't take care of me, I'd be He's living a man. in I mean, the dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but I have asked them to give me this, give me, sign me onto Robinhood so I can learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. So yep. that I can finally get rid of the old woman, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we we built today's episode as the uh, 2019 prediction. Oh, the prediction episode. The prediction special. So I want to talk about uh, what we think is about to happen, but I also first want to talk about the things that did happen. It's, it's we mm. didn't have a retrospective uh, because our Christmas episode was like on November eighth, yeah. <laughs> so early. Uh, and and much to Ben's chagrin, all we talked about was like the history and theology. Of it, yeah. it was Michael Moles doing 15 minutes on Advent. So should we get back now to the <laughs> square me <laughs> or uh, just get in Christmas? Just give me a hot cast iron frying yeah. pan. Yeah. Yeah. Right no, no. <laughs> so I want to talk uh, about what you think was the greatest political moment mm. of 2018. It's easy for me. I can. Well, yeah. yeah, I think uh, we probably it, all have the same it, one. It's got, yeah. it's got to be the Kavanaugh confirmation. I mean, they threw hell. At, at us, basically, they did. They pulled out all the stops, and not only did we win, not only was Kavanaugh confirmed, but they were revealed as being who they are. They were yeah. revealed as willing to destroy any human being, any principle of American governance to get what they want. And the people saw it, and I think it's going to reverberate. These are the things that seep into the culture. These are the things that you don't even know what the effect is until 10 years later when you look back and say, you know, from that moment, something happened. I remember feeling at this at, when it happened, this is the pinnacle of the Trump administration, at least the I think, first I think term. That's right. I, and I and I remember thinking, enjoy it because it's going to be very because soon the midterms are coming and then you'll be depressed. And I, that was exactly the way it turned out. Yeah. I thought it was a it was a beautiful moment because everything they did was not just wrong; it was bad. It was yeah. bad what the left did, and they stopped them. And that's a great thing. Well, the Lindsey Graham 2.0 was, was, was the Lindsey best thing. Ever right? since Trump came Lindsey out, Graham. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Lindsey Graham 2.0, which was such an improvement. I mean, the upgrade was just tremendous. And it was a reminder that when we tell that whole story, the one name that we don't really say very much is President Trump. Well, actually, he did the right thing, right? He stuck yeah. with Kavanaugh. He didn't yeah, remove right. him. He stuck with, and he gets credit for that for yeah. sure. But it was that Trump was not in the headlines every day. The Democrats were in the mm. headlines every day. And so this is going to be the question going forward for 2020. Who's going to be in the headlines every day? If the Democrats are in the headlines every day with impeachment and with whatever nonsensical plans they're pushing and with free education for everybody and free health care for everybody and all their garbage, then Trump has a shot at re-election. Mm. If Trump is in the headlines every day, then not. And the case in point is that if we had had that 2018 election the day after Kavanaugh, Republicans hold yeah. the House and the Senate. I agree. And, if, and, if, and it didn't. Yeah. For the next three weeks, President Trump went out there and jabbered about the caravan, and we got clocked. Yep. And so, you know, all we, uh, all we need to do is let the Democrats just give them enough, not, I know, a lot of suicide today, but give them enough rope. And they, and they are, <laughs> and they are fully capable. I actually think the, this brings me to one of my 2019 predictions, which is if one of the great possibly the greatest 2018 political moment is the Kavanaugh hearing process. I think one of the one of the great uh, 
disappointments for the right in 2019 is going to be seeing how Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh actually. actually works as a, <laughs> as a, you know, what we, as a yeah, jurist. There are some of us we, who are doubtful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we forget is that he was hand-selected by Kennedy to be Kennedy's replacement. And we all, because of this sort of partisan reactionary movement on the right that's so strong right now, he gets nominated and we immediately go, oh, he's the greatest. Trump's going to be better at the Supreme Court than anyone has ever lived. Kennedy picked him to continue Kennedy's legacy well, you, on the court. You've got to remember, though, a lot of conservatives were pulling for other people, Amy Barrett, other mm. other people. And it was really when the Democrats came out and accused him of being a this gang right. rapist. That was really everyone then galvanized behind him. But he might be a disappointment. I, yeah. The one thing I don't think he'll be a disappointment on, and it just happens to be a hobby horse of mine, is uh, Chevron and the... Right, now this is right. He'll leave it yeah. on Chevron. Yeah. His, his, that's, a big, a, that's a big he has, one. He has a long yeah. For yeah. people who don't know what Chevron deference is, yeah. basically, administrative agencies all have these adjudicatory bodies where if you have a problem with the EPA, you have to then appeal the EPA's decision to the administrative body within the EPA that makes these decisions. And there is a big question as to whether a court can then review that decision, whether an administrative agency is subject to review de novo, meaning that they can actually look at the case itself mm -hmm. and then overrule the EPA's interpretation of its own law. And Chevron deference basically says that unless there's a plain error that was made in the reading of the statute, then you have to give the administrative agency all sorts of leeway to do this. Yeah. Well, Kavanaugh, to his great credit, has said that doesn't exist. If, if the EPA is ruling for its own benefit, and we, we don't have to take their word for anything, in other words. We can review each of these cases without yeah. any sort of deference. He's against Chevron deference, which is one area where he is really good. So if we all deal. basically agree on the number one political story of 2018, let's argue over the number two political <laughs> okay. story of 2018. What, what stood out for you, Ben? Um, you know, I, I would have to say that the, the social media collapse has been the big one. I mean, yeah. the, the, the kind of building rage against Twitter and Facebook, and some for good reason and some for really bad reason. So I, I think that the, the, unsurprisingly, I think conservatives are correct to be deeply skeptical that a bunch of leftists who design algorithms in Silicon Valley are going to be honest with them about how exactly these algorithms are then applied. So people on the left have said, well, you know, Daily Wire does really well over at Facebook. You know, and we do. I mean, we have a great team. We have a great social media team. We, we do really well with Facebook. That's true. But it is also true that early in 2017, Facebook decided basically to destroy the entire right on Facebook. Yeah. And we were part of that. And so when Facebook or YouTube or Twitter crack down on people, they're only cracking down on people on one side of the aisle. They're not cracking down on people on the other side of the aisle. And so I think that's a legit concern because all the people in Silicon Valley really do have the sort of hooli view of what they're supposed mm -hmm. to do on Silicon Valley that would do, the don't be evil Google shtick. And they think don't be evil means crack down on people who are on the right. It's as Tim Cook of Apple said, it'd be a sin if we allowed people to yes. say hateful things yes. on our platforms. Well, you're not God. You don't get to decide that. So that's, well, so but that, he said he was, basically. He right. said that inner, that inner voice was going to guide him. That was sacred. I mean, when you use the word sin <laughs> yeah. about your yeah, own yeah, judgment, yeah. then pretty much you are saying you're not. Our friend Alan Estrin from PragerU, I mean, you, were, you were in this conversation, yeah. Mike. You may be able to recount it better than I can. His whole thing about the, the Apple 1984 ad. That's right. Do you remember his speech about that? I, of course not. I was tuned out for the entire thing. But there, no, there really is this great irony in that night. For those who don't remember, the 1984 ad with Apple, the Mac is coming out, and they're going to, they run down the movie yeah. theater aisle. They smash the brainwashing <laughs> Big Brother, and they're going to be the new creative, innovative disruptors. They are now Big Brother. Yeah, they are right. now 1984. So, but, Tim but, Cook is. But, here, but here's the, so, those are, so that, those are, I think, legit criticisms. Here are criticisms I do not think are legit. So I think that all of the people who are deeply, maybe you guys disagree with this, all the people who are deeply worried about the invasion of our privacy by, by like Facebook, which is taking public data and then selling it. If you're stupid enough to put a bunch yeah. of your information on Facebook on a free platform, 
What do you think they are doing of with course. that information? Yeah. Like, how did you think they were making their money? Did you think that they were just making their money by you sitting there and not looking at ads? Like, how? how I think no you, one. What, I think no one really cares yeah. about the privacy. I, I, I totally I think it's all censorship. That. And, and not, so yeah. I think that people care about censorship, but I think the reason that you're seeing bipartisan disapproval of Facebook and YouTube and Twitter has nothing to do with the actual reason that the left is saying. Right. So the, the left is saying it's all about privacy and my concerns with privacy and what all these companies are doing with my info. No, what the left is actually concerned with is controlling the censorship. That's right. And so what they are actually upset about is that Donald Trump won in 2016, and they think that if they can control the social media by basically threatening them with legislation on the basis of privacy, then they can get all their social media friends in Silicon Valley to turn off let, all the right-wingers. Let, let, let me push back on this, mm -hmm. and, then, and then I'll... Right. It's important because we say that as Americans, and it's true, but the left had an agenda, sort of a universal agenda for the last century before this moment. And we're seeing it play out in Europe, and I worry that we're going to see it here, which is uh, this whole GDPR movement in Europe. That there's Basically, the European Union passed a law that went into effect uh, a few months ago about how websites that operate anywhere where a European citizen uh, might be able to interface with it. So it, it actually applies to American companies here, um, that the way that we store and deal with user data is now regulated by the EU and subject to fines. And the fines can be 20 million dollars. And so you may have noticed if you go to websites over the last three or four months, maybe undoubtedly all of your favorite websites uh, have started doing this thing where you have to like elect to use cookies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's not uh, that's not like the letter of the law of the GDPR movement, but it's a result of the G it's the reason it all happened on one day. That's the day that GDPR went into effect. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost companies like Google and Facebook billions of dollars in Europe. But for smaller operations like the Daily Wire, it presents real challenges. It actually makes us question whether or not we should make our content available in Europe at all mm, because right. it's so onerous, the restrictions on how you can use data now. And so while I agree that in the exact moment we're in, the left actually doesn't care about privacy. They only care about sort of pressuring uh, these social media organizations to not let Donald Trump get reelected. They do have a secondary agenda, which is control everything and take everybody's money. And they are going to do that in the name of privacy. Well, see, this is why I think some of the arguments on the right are a little bit clueless. And I actually wanted you to address this because you explained it to me and I've been explaining it to other people. And it's important mm. when we hear right wingers say, well, they're private companies. They have a right to do whatever they want, essentially. That's not true. Not first true. of all, the, the First Amendment protects our right to free speech from the government. But our right to free speech comes from God. And so if you have a, a essentially a monopoly on information, you have to be stopped from censoring people. You have to be stopped. And you explain to me why that is perfectly legal and perfectly within the realm of capitalism to mm -hmm. do that. And I think you should talk about it because that, most people don't understand it. Yeah, so it's based on this thing called uh, uh, the Communications Decency Act. And there's a section of it, Section 230, which, which basically applies here. What it comes down to is a question of liability. That there's a reason that major news publications have fact checkers. There's a reason that uh, if... The New York Times, for example, were to write a story about Ben in which they say, you know, Ben is known to to uh, lure children to his house who are then never seen again. Yeah, ben, true. I mean, that, you're right. Ben, <laughs> they have no evidence. Reported. No, evidence. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. There's no evidence. Ben would have <laughs> a, a he would have a legal case against the New York Times for publishing libelous slander, defamation, yeah, defamation of character. Yeah, uh, because they're a publisher, right? And because they have editorial control over what they publish. And if they're publishing things yeah. that are knowingly untrue and meant to do someone harm, they open themselves up to pretty extreme legal liabilities. So 
enter Silicon Valley, enter Google, enter YouTube, enter Facebook, enter Twitter, enter Instagram, uh, they, in theory, are not publishers. They're platforms. Their argument is, we don't publish anything. We open up a platform for you, the user, to publish. No one could publish Facebook. There's millions of posts. No one could publish YouTube. They're like a phone line. There's billions. They're like a phone line. Exactly. And so they say, uh, we can't be held responsible if slanderous, libelous, defamatory things uh, are said on our platform. Right. If I got on the phone with Jeremy and I said something bad about Drew, you wouldn't hold the phone company responsible. You couldn't sue AT&T over right. your conversation. Right. So the government agreed. And they said, we won't hold you responsible for the things that are published on your platforms by users if you remain a free and open platform. Now, of course, as even with free speech, famously, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? Well, that's there, sort of an overrule, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but there are some like very general, you know, can't threaten, can't threaten right, right. You're not allowed to threaten violence. Right. You're not allowed to incite right. violence. You're but not generally to... speaking, and the argument that was made by these tech companies at the time was we're going to not play a political role. We're going to allow people to publish their, uh, their opinions. And for that reason, they received shielding by Congress from lawsuits. Now they're saying, well, we have a responsibility. It would be a sin if we didn't. That We, we have to edit, execute editorial control over things that are being written to make the world a better place, right. to make the world a friendlier place, make the world a more generous place. And the argument is, well, cool. If that's true, Great. a lot Go of ahead. terrible yeah. things are said about us on your platform. A lot of untrue. Well, a lot of things meant to incite harm to us. Yeah, we, now, we you're have, now you're a publisher. Now you're a publisher. Yeah. And, and we Which is why if I had been Alex Jones... Uh, the asshat who was banned from yep. uh, Twitter and thinks that they're making the frog say. Uh, if I had been Alex Jones when I was banned from Twitter, which he should not have been, right. I would have filed two concurrent lawsuits. In lawsuit number one, I would have sued uh, uh, Twitter for um, for removing me, right. for, say, for removing yeah. my opportunity to publish my own views on their free and open platform. Lawsuit number two, I would have sued Twitter for all of the horribly defamatory right. things that were published on their platform about me in the wake of me being suspended. And I would have made Twitter defend in two separate cases. In On the one <laughs> yeah. hand, explain how you're not liable for the slanderous things that were published uh, about me, while on the other hand saying that you have no editorial... No, that's you know, exactly yeah, that's right. Right. And, and if the right were not so clueless about this stuff, we basically just want to be on Twitter. And so when Alex Jones goes, and nobody likes Alex Jones, the guy's a loon, you know, yeah. nobody defends him. But he needs to be defended. Of course he, he needs to be defended. Yeah, of course he does. That's the big I'll just defend this one speech. point. Uh, they are turning the frickin' frogs gay, aren't the they? Frickin is, <laughs> they're making <laughs> the frickin' frogs gay, I guess. But it's, it, it is... It, wait, but nothing's wrong with that. But yeah, but what's wrong with that? Who am I to judge? Who are you to judge? What the a gay frog for crying Well, I mean, if Kevin Hart had said that, then they'd ban him from the Oscars. <laughs> By the way, I think that the only people who are willing to host the Oscars are probably in this room at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way this works. No, and I, I think what, what happened to Kevin Hart, I mean, to me, this, yes. is, the, this is the stuff that is absolutely... Terrible, terrible that's happening in the country. Well, so I've coined this word that I'm definitely trying to get catch okay, on. It's sure. gonna it's gonna be fetch. I'm really I'm really <laughs> trying to get this word caught. Woke scold. I actually like yeah, this word. Right? This, I, I think, think it's, it's pretty good. Because these people are they are they are woke scolds. This is what they do. And it can be used as a verb also yeah. in the fashion that we use I mean, all nouns as verbs. How many of them are there? Um, so, so this is my point. I don't think there are that many of them. So I think I that there are yeah. I think there are maybe I think there are hundreds of thousands. I don't think it's tens of thousands. Right. 
But I think that the ones who are super active and actually get this stuff done, I think you're talking about a group of 500 people. Right. Really. I think that, uh, and these are the people who call up Tucker Carlson's advertisers and bug them. This is, th- these are the people who decide that they're going to go after Kevin Hart on Twitter. Right. It's, it's basically like sleeping giants and media matters. And what they do is they sit around all day because they're bored and terrible, awful people. Yeah. And, and then, and, and yeah, some of them are rich. And what they do is they, they, they then mobilize to harass one person and ruin that person's life for a day. And then that person goes up the chain and says, my life was ruined today. And somebody says, you know what? It'll just be easier for us to disassociate from, right. from this human and, being. And, and you know how I know that this is true? Because we have used this tactic ourselves. So Jeremy and I, before we ran Daily Wire, we ran a group called Truth Revolt. Oh, right. You were there. I was there. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and Truth Revolt was specifically designed as a mutually assured destruction group. We yeah. said this openly, that we yeah. hate the tactics we're using, but the left needs to learn that they can't just bully people into silence. And so what we would do is if there was somebody who said something terrible, like Martin Bashir saying that he wanted to defecate into Sarah Palin's mouth, do we actually think that Martin Bashir should lose advertisers over that? Not really. I think he's no. a schmuck, right? I mean, yeah. I think people shouldn't watch his show, but I think advertisers should be able to advertise wherever they want. And we, but we had a group of activists and we told all of our activists, call this line at this advertiser and tell them you don't want to see their advertising on Bashir's show. Now, the advertiser doesn't know whether these people were actually shopping with them yeah. or yeah. getting yeah. insurance with them or any of that kind of stuff. All they know is that that day, their entire customer service team was overwhelmed with like 30 phone calls. And that was the entirety of it. It was like 30 people who would call. And then the advertiser would be asked on Twitter or publicly, are you going to keep advertising on Martin Bashir after he said X, Y, and Z? And they would feel inconvenienced for like a minute. And then they would say, okay, we're pulling our advertising. Right. Okay, well, the, the reason that I'm bringing this up is not because this is a good tactic. It's not. That's the reason I'm bringing it up. Advertisers need to understand that a bad day does not mean that if you kept advertising on Martin Bashir, you would right. lose your entire business. And this is also true on Twitter. It's true of comedians. Like, this is why Bill Burr, God bless him, is never going to be taken down by these people. Because if these people ever tried to take down Bill Burr by saying, like, you said X 10 years ago, he'd just say F you. Mm-hmm. Right? F you is the most yeah. single, it's the single most powerful tool. Yeah, so what? That any that, of the, yeah, so yeah, what? Really, yeah, so what? The person who used to say this to me was Andrew Breitbart, right, who took as much flack as anybody that any of us have ever known. And he always used to say, and it, it was hard for him because he's a human being, right? right? And I take a lot of flack too, and it's and it's hard as a, we all do in this room, actually. He, he always used to say, walk towards the fire, that one of the one of the empowering things in being on the right, and I think Trump has done this for a lot of people, is the feeling like they're shooting the arrows, and it feels like, it, it, it feels like you know, Boromir at the end of, of the first <laughs> Lord of the Rings, that you're getting yeah. hit with arrow, arrow, arrow. But... At a certain point, you realize the arrows actually don't hit you. Right. That they yeah. bounce off you. That, that yeah. just saying, you know what? Go screw yourself. Right. Most people don't care about anything. And, and you know what? You know, I, I've actually taken a, a fairly big hit for my opinions. I think I can say financially, I've taken a really big hit. I lost contracts in Hollywood that were worth, I'm sorry, but they were worth millions of dollars. You know, We'd pay I, you a lot more if your opinions uh, were better. Uh, that, <laughs> 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 but, but, you know, in the end... If you're an American, who wants to live afraid? Who wants to live silent? I mean, this is, we all go and talk to college kids, and they always come up and they ask the question, how can I say this and that? And what they really mean is, how can I say this and that without consequence? And the answer is, you can't. You can't. This is what being an American is all about. And we all carry the culture. Every one of us carries the culture in our two hands. We have a responsibility to take some hits. I got to tell you, this is shocking, but speaking of those college kids, I'm actually more pessimistic than Ben on this, Mm -hmm. on the woke fetches on the woke scolds, which is that I don't think it's terribly small. I think it is in the broad American population, it's very small, but it skews so young. Well, and that's there are true. so many of these mm. young kids. Jerry Seinfeld Well, it feels powerful. This. It gives them a feeling of power. Yeah. It gives them a feeling of power. And Seinfeld said he won't play college campuses anymore because they call everything racist. They call everything sexist. They, I mean, 
I see a lot of it. We all do. On and all they have campuses. to do is make it slightly. What they, the, the people that the woke scolds are aiming at are the people who are decent but kind of apathetic and don't want to be bothered. Right. Right. Those are the actual people they're aiming at, not well, at me and not at Tucker. Not sure. and not they're, at, yeah. What they're really aiming at, and this is one of the great unspoken truths of America, they're aiming at boards of directors of corporations who are risk averse. Right. And the 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 unfortunate reality is that. The corporate board in America has given us the left-wing agenda. Mm. Almost everything that we actually think is wrong in the culture is being promulgated by probably people who donate to Republicans. Yeah. They make a lot of money sitting on boards. They probably go to the country club. They've all eaten at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but they're so risk-averse in their business mm. that they give us frivolous sexual harassment uh, policies. Yeah. They give us uh, pulling money out of anybody who says an opinion that they agree with but that gets any heat brought on them. They fund They're, all the colleges. They, they fund all the that, colleges. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, pro, it's too this big a topic right. for us to, to go to today, but we should on one of these in the future really talk about the danger. How, how can we win back? Uh, how, can we, how can we give metal and spines to these board members at these companies? Because if they would fight the wars, we wouldn't be losing. I, but, but, yeah. but first we have to talk about a good corporation. <laughs> a good company. Oh, yeah. okay, so a great company. These a company are, with company in their name. These guys are actual, <laughs> That's how serious they are. I mean, That's so but, honest. But the, these guys are legitimate badasses. They are the, bad. the, the folks over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. So you know that all of us here in the room are big believers in the Second mm. Amendment, believe in our Second Amendment rights, believe in your right to keep and bear arms to protect all of your other rights. Well, Bravo Company Manufacturing was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago to build a professional-grade product that meets combat standards. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless of whether they're a private citizen or a professional. BCM is not a sporting arms company. They are there to make weapons that will function properly mm. when the time comes to use them if your life is, God forbid, in danger. Each component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans to a life-saving standard. Standard. BCM feels moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the user when it's not just a paper target. They work with all the leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special ops forces, from Marine Corps Force Reconnaissance to U.S. Army Special Ops Forces, who can teach the skills necessary to defend yourself. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to Bravo Company MFG. Dot com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. Again, that's bravocompanymfg.com. If you need more convincing, go check them out at YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash bravocompanyusa. I've talked to the founders of the company. These are guys who do not give a damn about what anybody has to say about <laughs> them. All they care about is providing the best life-saving product directly to you. Bravocompanymfg.com. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Go check them out right now. You know, this, though, points to something. I agree with everything you just said about risk-averse corporations, but we have to add into that that the shift from a manufacturing manufacturing economy to an information economy is a shift from people who are good at making things like these guys, right, like Bravo Company, to people who specialize in emotion. They, they are, yeah. And they are naturally leftist. And the corporate, corporate world has turned more to the left as we have shifted more to an information economy. And this old uh, idea that the Republicans are, are the friends of corporations is no longer entirely well, true. I, I think there's truth to that, and I, I'm not sure about whether it's emotion, but I do think that it has something to do with the idea that a material product on the shelf is what it is, right? The, the piece of metal that you right. are buying you on the shelf. you got to do a good job. Right, yeah. and yeah. in the end, it's going to be judged by the quality of the product that's on the shelf, whereas technology is going to be judged by all of these other vague things that you feel about the company, which is why you see all these corporations now branding in the most leftist possible fashion, because they feel like the conservatives... The thing is, they 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 do rely on the goodwill of conservatives, right? They rely on the fact that conservatives see a commercial that we find a little offensive, and we're not going to care enough to boycott their right. product. But they've reached out to this whole broad new group of people because that broad group of new people 
is, is really interested in exactly that kind of virtue signaling. You see this with Nike and Colin Kaepernick. Right? They figure yeah. no conservative is actually going to not buy a Nike shoe. We'll just go buy whatever shoe is best because that's how we're used to purchasing products. Right. But everybody on the left who's deeply concerned about politics is going to be suckered into spending their hard-earned dollars with a capitalistic company that is using sweatshop labor in China <laughs> <laughs> because Colin Kaepernick is kneeling on, on, on a poster for them. And also, there goes Nike as a potential advertiser. But it is true. I, I, when I said that you know the, the apathetic person in the middle, there's a reason the left is smart. What they are doing is they are pairing away the people around the Overton window. They're gradually yeah. closing it. So they're not going directly for the center of the Overton window. They're not just saying, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. no more Shapiro. Instead, what they're doing is they're saying, well, let's start with like Alex Jones. Because everybody like, hates Alex Jones. Because yeah. he's a schmuck. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's a schmuck. But yeah. you know, you can't throw him out because if you throw him out, then you could throw everybody out. They say, well, but if you think that he shouldn't be thrown out, that's probably because you agree with him. Right. And then you should be thrown out alongside him. I saw this happen a couple of years ago when there was all this talk about, should you be able to punch a Nazi? Yeah, and the idea yeah. was that if you say that Nazis have a First Amendment right to speech, you agree with the Nazi. Or if you say there's a First Amendment right to use the N-word, that means that you're in favor of using the N-word, which is nonsensical. It's right. disgusting. No, right? used, and the left used to agree with us. The ACLU defended the Nazis' right to speak. Well, and, and, and the ACLU is the best changed. possible yeah. Yeah. You know, sort of litmus test for yeah. what has happened in the country. Right. Where the ACLU recently came out and they said, we are not going to defend the due process rights of Justice Kavanaugh. We're not going to defend his yeah. due process rights because it might offend people. Right. Yeah. right? We don't. We we can't. We it, they're not, there's such a thing as too much due process. They're like you're the ACLU. <laughs> yeah. It's literally in your name. It's like yeah. just take the C and the L out. Right. Civil Liberties Union. <laughs> right? But this is this is where it's going is to scare everybody into into silence. And when Trump came forth, I think this was really his main pitch was more than anything else. I think his main pitch was that he was a giant pulsating middle finger to everything, including yep. this stuff. And people were like, okay, well if he can say that, then I can say that. And the problem is. That, and this has been the problem for President Trump historically, is that it is so worthwhile to do that. It is, it is really worthwhile to be able to say F you on topics where we have to stand on our hind legs and do that. But we do have to ourselves be careful to continue being decent human this. beings, even so as we do. Absolutely true, but we do, we, do have to take, we do have to take responsibility for the fact that we let the culture slide so far that only a boor like Trump would break the rules. Speak for yourself, old dude. We just got here. But, 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 actually, I, I actually, but here's the thing. I, I, actually, I actually disagree that, that it would take, that, that only a boor would do it. I just think only a boor could get away with it. Hmm. Meaning that, meaning that uh, like, I've been doing it my entire career, right? Yeah, You've been course, doing it too. Yeah. Like, yeah. We all know people yeah. who have been deeply politically incorrect for right. their entire career. But they haven't gotten away with it. The reason that Trump got away with it is because his level of fame was so high yeah. mm. that it was impossible to destroy him. The media created him, and then they couldn't and, destroy and the Frankenstein he understood, he understood the principle of not apologizing, of right. never looking back, of even when you say the wrong thing, just keep on going. But it takes, you know, I, like I'm a tremendously polite person in real life, and it's, it's really hard to do that. You have to be able to say, I, I insulted you, I don't care. You know, and it mm -hmm. takes a certain kind of person to do that. Well, and, the, the, and that, that is, but therein lies the problem, is that, you know, yeah, as, as, a good, as, yeah. as a good person, yep. your first reaction to somebody saying you did something bad, yep. and believe it or not, I try to be a good person. I know. I mean, it's, I, why, yeah. it's why what the funny <laughs> we, hat is we, for we, and the whole we, thing. We try not to tell people. I know. It's, 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 it's <laughs> my dirty little secret. Um, but it, when somebody says something you did is wrong, your first reaction yep. as a good person is, okay, maybe. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let, me, yeah. let me really think about I mean, that. You and hurt somebody's feelings. You right. Don't want to do Perhaps right. you'll even apologize. Right. Exactly. And it's not terrible to apologize. So. On the on we, we've we've got this 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 new feeling is almost too strong in the other direction. I just feel like the country's swinging wildly side to side. Yeah, it was it was apologize for everything, and then Trump came along. He said apologize for nothing. Right, and the right answer is apologize for the wrong. When things. you're wrong, yeah, right? And but which, if we all just kind of basically 
abided by the rules that we learned when we were seven, the country would be that much better <laughs> like off. Like all those Republicans who used to lose, like George Bush <laughs> and George Bush and Mitt Romney. <laughs> this is the thing that bothers me is the uh, uh, is that we take there's a utility to what Trump does, even though much of what he does is wrong. Right. That's right. We so many on our side have seen the utility and they refuse to make the distinction between what's right and wrong. And so you're seeing bad behavior now from many people, even even friends of ours, I won't name them. You're seeing bad behavior from many people on the right because of this new sort of FU attitude. Right. I, so I was going to say a minute ago about the gospel that I often tell people that my view of the gospel is that we have basically complete forgiveness in Christ. And that because of that, that we have freedom from legal moral restrictions in our relationship with God. Doesn't mean anything about our relationship with each other or anything. But in our relationship with God, uh, that that's been covered and that there, there's now a new way to live and the new way to live isn't based on uh, regulation, but it's based on sort of relationship. People always immediately respond to this by saying, so you're saying I can just kill people and cheat on my wife? And I always say, they think that they're revealing a hole in my theology. They're revealing a hole in their character. Right. They're, saying, <laughs> they're saying, if I had grace from God, the first thing I would do is murder people and cheat on my wife. It's like the purge. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I worry that we're saying that a little bit on the right too, where it's like, Instead of seeing that we've been freed from from what was wrong with the restrictions uh, of the of the Obama era, that there were so many things that were true that we couldn't say, uh, we we now are embracing the Trump freedom and feel free to say the things that we should. But it's such a deep point. And by the way, I sort of I have to say I sort of agree. I mean, as the as the Jew in the room, I sort of agree with the critics because I do think that human nature is to say that if you were given the capacity for running room, that you would do whatever you wanted. Because people historically have basically done whatever they wanted when giving running room. And so that's why it's not enough to do away with all of the old rules that the left was trying to push on us. We do have to re-inculcate virtue. And that's where that's where hmm. the other half of Trump is missing, yeah. right? But Trump, Trump is great at knocking down rules. And all of us cheer when the bull in the China shop breaks the China that needs to be broken. It's not just that he's breaking China that doesn't need to be broken. It's that we do need a new set of China there, right? I mean, there, there actually does need, we need to be able to serve dinner. But, right? it would, but it would help, it would help if George W. Bush, decent man, had not expanded entitlement spending, had not attacked every country on earth trying to spread democracy. It would help if Mitt Romney had not put Obamacare in Massachusetts. It would help, in other words, if these guys were actually conservatives as well as being... And, and, but, it, but it would also help beings. if Donald Trump uh, didn't say that the Soviet Union was right to invade <laughs> Afghanistan. I mean, there, there's a lot no, of No, no, of course. Yeah. It's time to talk to some of our uh, uh, DailyWire.com subscribers who Absolutely. pay the bills around these parts. It's time to talk to Elisha Krauss. Even better. I'm over here in Subscriber Central, which I found out it's really uncomfortable. And then someone said, no, 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 it's not a broom closet. It's Knowles' studio. So, uh, <laughs> even though you can't fire him, you did give him a really crappy hole. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that. That, that was Ben's doing. <laughs> yep. Ben actually personally designed it. <laughs> this question comes from Joel J. And he wants to know why Michael Knowles and other strong conservatives seem to hate vegetarians and vegans. Is it possible to truly be conservative and non-meat eating? Does, does this not impact how the GOP sees suburban voters? I, I don't hate vegetarians and vegans. I love vegetarians and vegans, and I want them to be happy. And one of the ways to be happy is to eat veal, one of the most <laughs> delicious meats. Foie gras is very good. It, it, the problem with veganism, not vegans, vegans are confused, and I want them to see the light, is that veganism is morally incoherent. How many vegans do you know who are pro-life? Very few. Maybe they exist, but there are very few. Most yeah. vegans I know 
very left wing, very uh, in favor of abortion. But part of this is the moral incoherence here. Does anyone really believe that an oyster is more conscious than a carrot in any measurable way? I don't think so. Not really. What is the, it's a total inversion of the natural order. We, biblically speaking, have dominion over the land and the sea. We are conscious beings. We use our reason. We are biologically built to consume meat. It is good for us. Vegans always look kind of sickly and weird. They do. And they're always imposing their will on all of us. It's a total inversion of the natural order. And the left, as we always say, gets everything totally wrong. They turn comedy into tragedy. They go, they turn everything upside down. Politically correct means not correct, right? All of these various things. This is another example of them getting it wrong. And if they would stop serving the environment as though the environment were above them, it were some god of theirs, they would learn that we are designed to serve products of the natural environment to each other on dinner I have a theory about veganism and vegetarianism that's going to be the most unpopular thing uh -oh. that I've said all night. Uh, Good but, but I want us to get back together in 50 years and we'll raise a glass to Drew. And talk about whether or not my, my prediction has borne out. I, I'm, I know where you're going, and I will agree with you. I think that the next frontier in human morality is toward vegetarianism. Totally agree with this. And what? you know who yeah. else thought that? Tot Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> but but it totally agree with this. I've said this before. It I actually agree with this. raises an interesting question for me about morality versus righteousness, which mm. is. It, we sometimes conflate the two, and we try to make God a moral being. But the problem is that more morality exists within a societal framework. But God is a righteous being, and righteousness flows from God. It's not, it's not a human-made a, a human right? construct. And so there's an interesting question about, can morality actually improve uh, across a given civilization, across a given amount of time, while righteousness within that civilization decreases. Mm. And so here's an example of this. It, it is the case that in Eden, man did not eat meat. But it is also the case that upon the expulsion from Eden, God killed the first animals to provide, not food. But nice to, jackets. To, to, yeah, <laughs> to require fur, to, to yeah. fur for the, the lovely ladies. Uh, <laughs> over time, however, and I know you can't, it's naive to say as we progress, we get better because, you know, the 20th century is the most bloody century <laughs> yeah, in really? human history. But there are aspects that become better from a sort of moral point of view. Doing away with polygamy, doing away with child marriage. You know, the Virgin Mary was probably 14 years old when she conceived uh, Christ, but none of us think that it's a bad thing that 14-year-olds aren't married off to 30-year-old men today. We think that that's a probably moral improvement uh, within society doesn't make them immoral to have done it at the time because they didn't live in the framework of our current society. You know, they needed polygamy to build civilizations in the beginning. They needed women to get married and have children very young when the life expectancy was very short. And so you had to create uh, children early on. There's other things that are maybe less justifiable, but still represent shifts in morality. Slavery. You know, we had slavery was ubiquitous across almost all cultures on all of the earth. And then an awakening came in our consciousness. And now, you know, I say George Washington, one of the greatest men to ever live, uh, oversaw 300 slaves. If I oversaw just one, you would all agree that I <laughs> were a real jerk. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't live in that moral mm -hmm. construct. And I do oversee one. And you, know, it's, and it's the, <laughs> you can't sell him off. I can't get rid of him. He keeps trying to sell who, me off. Who would, who would buy him? And so there's an interesting question to me. I think the left is going to turn to vegetarianism 
and and veganism and animal this sort of really expansive view of animal rights over the next 50 years i think that's the next yes, frontier right. can i but I, the, but the, but my question is it's is not. it a moral improvement it's obviously the case that without the eating of meat we would not have as a as a as a race we could have not have gotten where a human race we could not have gotten to where we are today but there is a question once you live in a in a nation so rich or in a in a on an earth so rich or once you have the capacity no, to make protein once you can without they're, they're growing well, that's, steaks that's without thing. animals see, now see i think does that so change the morality of killing so here's where i think the big distinction lies so i'm i'm actually believe it or not i'm a, as a big meat eater i think that in a hundred years, people are going to look back and think that we're all barbarians. I me. Um, and I think that, and I, th and I could see myself moving toward, toward this, but not on the basis of animal rights. So here's where mm -hmm. I think that there's a big distinction. I think there's a difference between human duty and animal rights. Okay. Where the animal rights crowd is coming from is that animals are basically the same as human beings. They, and this is why whenever I'm asked this question, it's like, well, you care about unborn babies, but you don't care about the slaughter of a cow. It's like, right, because a baby's a baby and a cow's a cow <laughs> and they aren't the same thing. Mm -hmm. But People in the animal rights movement are always assuming the commonalities between animals and human beings, which I completely right. deny and do not accept. With that said, the idea that if I have the capacity to receive nutrition, for, like full nutrition, let's assume, from sources other than the death or suffering of animals, that seems to me not a, an immoral concept. As long yeah. as I maintain that distinction between the worth of a human and the worth of an animal, I think that where, where we start to backslide, and this is what's yeah. been happening, is people say, that humans and animals are the same, therefore don't eat meat. Not humans and animals are not the same, therefore don't eat meat. But, but, it, I, but it is but possible of, that you can arrive in a future where it is more moral not to eat meat, but that doesn't mean that people who ate meat in generations well, past were less moral. But, but the part yeah. of this that I agree with is I do, I do believe that the, uh, the mass reduction of meat has caused animals to be actually maltreated, and mm. they do share the creation with us, mm -hmm. and I think as soon as the last child on Earth is well-fed, I'm going to start to worry about this, and I think it is, it yeah. is, it is worth worrying about. The other thing is, I do believe that, that meat is going to be produced without animals. Right. And, and that, yeah. at that point... Technology will solve everything. There's a distinction to draw. I think you're right. I agree. We shouldn't be cruel to animals. I agree with C.S. Lewis. You shouldn't... The, the reason not to be cruel to animals is not because of the... I don't, the animal doesn't have any rights, but it's because it deadens your humanity. Yeah, right. yeah. But I, I do remember a certain ancient people who developed very strict rules for how to slaughter animals, you know, in a very specific way. Yeah. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. I don't see anything. I, you I, don't I, see anything I, wrong about it, but those rules were developed in a societal construct where the eating of meat was a requirement for the thriving right. of the civilization. Sure. I'm looking, I, I'm asking a moral question about an emerging future where that may not be the case. Well, and, and if my theory is right, uh, then it may it may necessarily be the case that we eventually in the in the end times you know yeah. In, yeah. in whatever the final analysis is that we might live in the most moral human society mm. that's ever existed but the least righteous one that, because I, we will I, have I constructed a morality is, that a, a false that reflects God but doesn't contain this him is, in any this way. This is what's so wrong with the guys like Steven Pinker who says everything is going great and everything is going great things are getting better but that you can live in a happy completely well-developed society that is morally atrocious. Right. When you're aborting 50 million babies right. a day yeah. and everybody's yeah. happier, that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not right. a positive thing. Alicia, this question us is another. Yeah. Yep, this one is for Andrew, uh -huh. and I love it when we do the conversation and people always seem to ask Andrew detailed relationship questions. <laughs> so Locke wants to know, do you ever hear back from those people that you end up giving the relationship advice oh. to? 
I, I do, in fact, and it's been incredibly uh, humbling to, to say that uh, people... Good for you that something humbled you. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> it's about time. It, hasn't had, it hasn't had the effect of humbling me, but oh. it is technically oh, humbling. Oh, humbling to you. Exactly, it's <laughs> happening to somebody else. But yes, uh, apparently this advice had been very useful. In, in a way, it's not as shocking as all that. I have been in a 40-year romance with the same woman. We have had one argument in, in, in 42 years. Seriously, one, one fight. We haven't had one disagreement. We disagree all the time. But, but I think that I do understand uh, what it is that people do that keeps them from being happy. And some of the letters I get in the mailbag, it's so clear what they're doing that mm. even they must know. They just need somebody to, to say it. I said, I got, I think it was at UCLA, a kid came up to me and he said, you know, you told me to man up, and no one had ever said that to me before. Wow. I thought, well, then the bar is very low, you know, because mm-hmm. nobody's saying is, to these kids, this be a man. This is so true. Be a man. I was you having know? this conversation with Jordan Peterson, who, of course, is doing this for a lot of young yes, men, yes. particularly. Yeah. And we were looking at each other and going, like, Jordan's main message, clean up your room, is something that every father should say to every son, and yeah, he's filling up stadiums of 2,000 people to hear him say, clean up your room. That's a sad Right, half of, half of my shtick is doing exactly the same thing that you're doing, which yeah. is, you know, man up, take control of your own life. It's a free country. Right. All you're guaranteed is adventure. Go make something of yourself and make a series of responsible decisions that end in a good result. And and all of this is so revolutionary in a society where we expect everybody to clean up after each other. Yeah. That it's that it's it's actually drawing massive crowds, yep. which is a hopeful thing, but also kind of a, a sad thing, right? Yeah. I mean, stuff that was taken for granted 40 years ago is now revelatory. You know, on a pers- on a personal note, I have to say that I some- I sometimes having found God late in life and having it been such an infusion of joy into my life, I sometimes have said to God, why why did it have to take 50 years, you know? Because it's like crossing the the desert, you know? You could have just walked straight into Jordan and it would have taken 10 minutes, you know? And I really think the reason is I've explored every stupid idea (laughs) before getting the right answer. And that's very helpful when you're talking to people who are exploring those ideas. Alicia. All right, Chelsea says, hey crew, I have some friends who are joining the Democratic Socialists of America and seem militant about the philosophy. Do you have any ideas on how to convince them of the errors of their ways? I do, and I don't think it has anything to do with logical arguments Mm -hmm. against socialism. This is an unpopular point of view. There are myriad logical arguments, historical, philosophical arguments against socialism. I don't think that's actually the appeal. I think the appeal for these kids is on a much more base level. I think it has to do with intersectionality, I think it has to do with skin color. I think it has to do with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being uh, Jenny from the block in the Bronx, even though she grew up in northern Westchester. I think that's really where it comes in. And you have to make emotionally compelling narratives. We talk about this all the time out here in Hollywood. You have to tell emotionally compelling narratives about the horrors and the ravages of socialism and communism and you and about the wonders of free markets and and uh, capitalism mm-hmm. and i think when i think if you talk about the statistics 600 million people lifted out of poverty in 30 years just in china basically because of capitalism because they liberalized economies the awful ravages of cuba you're just speaking in in numbers that people are not comprehending but if you talk about the family the individual if you talk about ji sung ho that guy who was in north korea yeah lost his limb because of, because of communism. He had to crawl across a river, ducking guards and bullets to make it to freedom and to show the joy on his face, lifting up that uh, walker that he's walking with. And you, you compare that 
to, to the ravages that are still in that country. That is much more compelling. And it allows people, especially young people who have been denied moral arguments their whole lives, to really cling to something. I think that's going to stick a lot better than statistics. I, I agree. And I also think the moral argument, the thing that conservatives do all the time is they talk about the fact that socialism doesn't work. Right. And while that's true, it's also just wrong. Even if it worked, it is wrong for you to go out and work hard to make money. Yep. And for me, because I got elected to something, to take that money away and say, I know how better how well, to this spend is, it. And really, that really is what the DSA pitch is, right? The DSA pitch basically is you're a better person mm-hmm. because yep. you are a socialist. Yep. Yeah. And, and that is the yep. chief obstacle you have to overcome when you're arguing with folks is you have to make them understand they're not a better person right. for being a socialist. It actually makes you a worse person yep. because you are now espousing a philosophy that says that you deserve my stuff because you're breathing. And that's not a thing. Yeah, you're a thief. Hey, Alicia. All right, Alcraz, I hope I'm saying that right. Maybe it's just a username. So sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. He wants to know, should Trump have a contest for Meme of the Week and tweet the winner every Wednesday night? <laughs> we won. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 100% he should, right? Yeah, okay, well, you know, before we go any further, it was a big week for Michael. Next meme, I can't do the impression. <laughs> Next meme, yeah. Uh, so if, if, before we go any further, I do have to, this is the only time I'm ever going to do this. I need to throw this to Michael because I, uh, you have to get oh, his Alexander Ocasio-Cortez oh, yes. retelling. We've yeah. gone through this entire episode <laughs> yeah. without the... This is his big moment, guys. The Thank only you. use he has had in several years. This better not just fight. be live. We better have this tape of Ben complimenting me here. This was the great... This was a Christmas gift. Yeah. This happened on... Also, please explain why it matters, like why, why this is important, because you're getting a lot of flack, people saying, like, why are you so down on AOC? Like, explain the whole thing. Right, what, so AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she sent out this tweet. Really, it was a social media intern who sent out a very stupid tweet, but it was this tweet of her congressional plaque, and it said, don't be fooled by the plaques that I got, I'm still, I'm still Alex from the Bronx. This is her appeal. She's this scrappy girl. She says it. Trump's going to deal with this girl from the Bronx. She's not from the Bronx. (laughs) She's not from the Bronx. I'm not from Brooklyn. She's not from the Bronx. We grew up in neighboring towns in affluent northern Westchester, one of the richest counties in the country. She grew up in the much richer, much less diverse town next door, Yorktown Heights. I grew up in Bedford Hills. I don't pretend to be from the... I went to the Bronx once a week as a kid to go grocery shopping, see people. Maybe she went once a week. When she got called out on this during her campaign, she then changed her tune on her campaign bio. She said, oh, my life was defined by commuting. You can't commute to a public school. She lived there her whole life. Her father was an architect. She then said, well, I grew up in two worlds. She didn't grow up in two worlds. So I was just tweeting this at her. I said, the average household wealth in the Bronx is $400,000. The average household wealth where you grew up is three times that. The median income was this. The median income was that. People were getting so upset by this. It is a fraud. It is a fraud that she is perpetrating. And this is this is the Liz Warren moment for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The way that you know, by the way, that this really hurts her, that this really matters to her, is I'm sitting on my Christmas vacation. I'm sitting there swilling Chablis, <laughs> having a grand old time, a few martinis in, and she is tweeting about this for a day because yeah. she knows this is a big weakness for her. It is the central fraud and her appeal which I think is emotional and intersectional and identity politics, is a total fiction. She went to a place with great public schools. It was totally affluent. She got to go to a private college. She's politically savvy. She won that seat. But this claim that she's this scrappy upstart up by her bootstraps, this is why we need socialism, is a total farce. We should tweet this at her every single day. We should constantly (laughs) remind her of this. So awesome. that, and the, the reason that people, I think, were asking was because, at least I, got, I seriously got asked this by a member of the media today, well, is the right doing the right thing by, by pointing this out? Because why aren't they just pointing out the fact that she's shallow and doesn't know anything, which is obviously true. Right? Obviously. She, does, she, doesn't, she doesn't know any of the things. So why, why are they focusing on her background? 
And what I said is because she uses her lack of knowledge, she shields her lack of knowledge with reference to her story. That's right. right? Basically, every time she's asked, how are you going to pay for stuff? She says, I'm just a girl from the Bronx, and we'll figure it out because I'm scrappy. And it's like, well, you're going to need to do better than that, right? You're going to actually need to actually give me some logic behind your ideas. And if you're going to say that your formative experiences are what caused you to believe these things, then the formative experiences better match up with the things that you believe in. Yeah, right. she is a genuinely dangerous ignoramus. I mean, I have to yeah. say, first of all, the fact that she is she's pretty. I said this on the show today that the combination, How dare you, sir. The com- <laughs> combination of moral emptiness and a hot body is is a bad, dangerous combination. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> it can lead you, True, you're not lead, that hot. It can, <laughs> it can lead you down some pretty bad places. And I think that she has that thing that exemplifies her generation. She thinks if she speaks with passion and she moves her hand and she looks at you right that changes the words coming out of her mouth into something true and it doesn't the things that she says aren't true and they're yeah. uninformed to the absolute bottom line mm-hmm. yeah. so let's talk to another uh, subscriber one thing we haven't mm-hmm. talked enough about on today's show is uh, how people can become subscribers and not only if you go to dailywire.com uh, and become a subscriber for you know 100 bucks a year not only do you get to ask maybe Let's be honest, we're going to get to maybe six questions. Uh, but you get to see uh, the archives of all the shows, the full video versions of all the shows. And starting next week, you'll get to see the two-hour uh, live video of, of the new Ben Shapiro show, National Syndicated Radio Show, which is going to launch in like 127 markets or something. That's amazing. That's amazing. That should be great. Yep. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Got nothing else. Yeah, he is, he is looking forward I to it. I got to save my voice, man. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia. All right, Dana says that this question is for Ben. She wants to know why you call Jeremy, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's never it's never really occurred to me. I mean, I, I didn't realize I, I started speaking with your southern drawl, <laughs> I guess. It was uh, the cowboy hat that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, that on? here's the problem with being named Jeremy Daniel Boring. Um, Daniel, if you haven't seen it written down, my is spelled in my instance D A N I A L. No. Instead of I E L. I did not know. It's a Persian so, spelling. Jeremy uh, is just a terrible name. I'm from a town of very, very few people. In my graduating high school class, there were four Jeremys because really? in 1979, every it was suddenly popular to name your kid Jeremy. So I got named. <coughs> my, my first name possesses no hard consonants. First of all, if you're going to have sons. Your options are biblical characters and kings of England. That's it. This is correct. <laughs> That's, those are the only right. options with available. With hard consonants. Yeah. With yes. hard consonants. You have to have hard correct. consonants. My name totally is agree. Jeremy, which is pronounced by almost everyone, including Ben Shapiro, Jeremy, which basically translates uh, attitudinally to punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> there will never be a president Jeremy. So my parents uh, may be recognizing the mistake. Like As soon as they wrote it down, probably they felt shame and Kind of didn't like me as soon as like, but they had already started writing. So what do you do? So they said, "We'll give him a better middle name, Daniel. It's a good, it's a biblical name, the justice of God, Dan, uh, Danielle, right? And D A N I E L L being the the God of the Bible. But that's not what they did. Uh, <laughs> they they wrote it D A N I A L. Well, it turns out there is a God who is not the God L. And that God is Allah, the God A-L. So my name now uh, is the Justice of Allah, which they, followed up, which they followed up with my last name, Boring. So my actual Christian name, which is proof that I will never be president of the United States, is 
Punch me in the face, the justice of Allah stole God. And that's the way we think of you. Basically. And we let parents name children in this country without having to register it with the state first. I know. Go Canada. <laughs> Alicia, what's next? All right. This question comes from Joshua, and he wants to know, what is one fundamental political topic that you all disagree on? Huh. That's a good question. We, well, there was the one we had earlier. Yeah, right? although we, like sure, there was, we sort of agree kind of more vague, than we, yeah. yeah, it was kind of vague. Uh, what is, do we all disagree on? I mean, it's, it's hard it's to think of. It's a fairly central one, though, the one that we were talking about earlier. I agree. It, 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 it's somewhat nuanced, and I want to keep it short because we have a few more things we have to get to today. But there is a central question about the role of government in shaping economy connected to the role of economy in shaping society. Right. And that's a... It, it, it's, new, it's too nuanced to Do you want to me to introduce short... kind of where this came from? Please. So, so, so where this sort of came from is that Tucker Carlson did a very interesting monologue last night in which yeah. he essentially suggested that the economy of the United States built on capitalism, capitalism was built on the idea of providing the best good at the best possible price, but that did not actually fulfill the needs of human beings, yeah. the needs of human beings for jobs and for meaning. And so we ought to reconstruct the economy in such a way that it helped provide for families and helped provide jobs. This is sort of the point that, that both Henry Olson has made and Warren Cass has made, that there are shortcomings to capitalism that can be cured by sort of paring around the edges of capitalism to ensure that people have jobs that give them meaning in their lives. And these jobs then provide the foundation for families. And I was very critical of this. You can watch my interview with, with Tucker in which we actually get into this a lot. And my perspective was that Capitalism is not what had undermined the family. That basically what had undermined the family was a lack of religion, and that that lack of religion has has destroyed the fundamental basis for capitalism, which is why we are now sliding away from capitalism. That you actually need a virtuous society in order to maintain that sort of freedom. And I think where the debate came in is that the, the, Drew believes that the economy, my, my view is that virtue and economics are rarely linked. I don't think that virtue and economics really have much to do with one another. Uh, I think that's sort of a Marxist view, that if you change the economy of the situation, then you necessarily change family structure. Um, you know, Drew's Drew, view what, is a little different. What's your view? My, I think the thing that we were disagreeing about is I, I really seriously believe that conservatives find themselves in a bind. And the bind is this. We believe, I believe, that John Adams was right when he said, we've written a constitution for a religious people. And I think we are increasingly an irreligious people. And even the 70% of people who identify as Christians are not Christians as John Adams would have understood it. And a lot of the people who say that they have no religion are not atheists, but they have gone off into what Duthot would call bad religion. To me, if you are selling, who are you selling the constitution to if you're selling it to people who don't believe in God? Because not only does religion shape the more moral view of people. It also shapes their view of what a human being is. Mm -hmm. In order to believe that you are a human being with essential dignity who has God-given rights to freedom, you have to believe in a God who gives you those rights to freedom. So in other words, what I think is when you say to a 12-year-old, uh, a poor 12-year-old whose uh, mother is a crack addict uh, hooker and whose father hasn't been around since he was born, if you say, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you're talking a language that that kid does not understand. And when you leave that kid to uh, fend for himself and he joins a gang because that's the only family he'll ever get, and then you say, well, that's just bad behavior, I think the conservatives are, are exercising a fundamental misunderstanding of the way people are. The man who pulls himself up by his bootstraps in that situation is an anomaly. He's an exception. He's an exceptional human being. The kid who is lost in that situation needs help. Now, where you and I agree that is, I want that help to come 
as close to the community as it possibly can. I mean, this we agree on. I, I want it to come. If it has to come from the state, I'll go with that. But I want it to come from the church instead. And that's why I support a lot of these guys who go in, the, the monks who go into Newark and raise kids, essentially. Right, yeah. That's where a, a lot of the answers come from. But in the meantime, you cannot leave people to die. You cannot leave uh, a 12-year-old in that situation to fend for himself because he won't. And, sh and surely you would say that the government, th there was a relationship between economics and the family in so much as government intervention in the economy during, say, the 1960s led to Im immediately a breakdown of the family. Right. So it, I guess the, the contention I would make is that government has the capacity to destroy the family. It doesn't have the capacity to recreate the family. Sure. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, and this yeah. is and, and I think that the mistake <coughs> that I'm seeing from Tucker and from Orrin Cass and some other folks is that it'll reinstill virtue in the economy, reinstill virtue in the people to change the economy. And I don't think that's right. I think yeah. the virtue has to predate the economy. That's what, well, that's and, course. That's, but, that's but, where but, we agree. Yeah. Right, that's where we agree. But I think yeah. where we disagree is when you say things like, in the meantime, you can't just let people starve. I'm not saying nobody wants kids who are in this situation to starve. But where we disagree, I know, Jeremy, this is where you disagree, is the idea that the government providing for that doesn't have more costs than benefits. Meaning that when the government comes in and says, okay, now we're going to provide a social safety net, you're creating a perverse incentive structure that encourages more creation of 12-year-olds who are going to be dependent on the government. And the proof of that is the last 50 years of mm, government I, largesse. I, I think there was a wonderful article in the Wall Street Journal. I believe it was by Phil Graham. I, I don't want to pin him with it if it wasn't, but I believe that's who wrote it, where he said, you know, the, these a lot of these redistribution programs have seriously helped people economically. And at the same time, they've seriously created a culture of dependency. And that's the problem that we face. And I think the, the way into this is to attack the culture of dependency uh, and through, I, and through, the, through theology and through philosophy in order to start to pare back this uh, this system that has actually had, had real and benefits. And I think, I think there's two points of disagreement for me. One of them, I think Ben and I share. I disagree with that article. I disagree with the assertion that these programs have have fundamentally increased people's economic prosperity. I don't think they have. I don't think that's right. I think you're wrong. The uh, poverty rate in the country is dropping faster before the implementation of welfare than it was after the implementation of welfare. But the fact is that the people who live in poverty now live at the, the level of middle class people in the 80s. And that's because of capitalism that has nothing to do with redistribution. No, that's not true. It does have to do with redistribution. I mean, you've then, why, you then, why, then why were living standards better in 1950 than in 1900? There wasn't socialism or redistributionism between 1900 and, and look, 1950. Well, and the, economic standards rose dramatically. In, in between that. Yes, yeah, but that, yeah. they, they rose between 1900 and 1920. I can pick any period of American history in which capitalism sure, reigned. Course, living yeah, standards yeah. always get better. Capitalism, right. capitalism, capitalism is a, raises it's, it's, people capitalism up. Capitalism is magic. It's a wonderful, wonderful it thing. Is. There's no question about it. But in order to have people who are free, they need to have a conception of themselves as people who deserve to be free. And I think we've lost that conception. If you don't start there, you're, you're lost. Well, well, so I don't think we disagree. I think mm -hmm. there is one other point of disagreement, though, and, and I won't put these words in Ben's mouth because it may be that this is my unique disagreement. Uh, uh, it, it, your son actually helped me understand this. Uh, you think of politics in very practical terms. I do. And I think about politics in very ideal terms. Right. But this is, a, that's absolutely true. I think yeah. that you cannot achieve your practical ends if we forsake the ideal arguments. I'm not talking about idealism in the sense of that we disconnect our, our beliefs from the consequences of our beliefs but I'm talking about it in an aspirational sense. What bothers me about Trump, for example, uh, is that Trump does not even speak the language of aspiration toward the ideals on which this country was founded. He, he has accomplished 
some practical successes for us. But in winning the battles, I worry that we're losing the war because we're not even fighting the war, we're forsaking the war. And I think part of our point of disagreement when we get into these conversations and many other things that we disagree about is because I'm not willing to give up my aspirational views of what we should stand for. My, mm. It's why I talk more about theology and you talk more about people's needs, even in religious conversations. You, you talk about the struggling man and I talk about the glory of God. Because you're the that's God a, King. That's a, that's a slight overstatement, but it's just a way yeah, of thinking uh -huh. about our different perspectives. You know, though, what, I, what strikes me about this is I don't think any two of us have the identical view on basically any, any issue yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And yet, on major political issues, we almost agree entirely. Yeah, I mean, on yeah. almost every issue. Why is that? It's because there is a sort of coherence to conservative thought, but unlike the left, the conservative, the left is ideologically homogenous in progressivism, but the right has so many variations yeah. of it. There's neoconservatism, traditionalism, classical liberalism, libertarianism, on and on and on. And so I think various combinations and mixtures of these influences is why none of us have exactly yeah. the same opinion. I think it's also because the hot button issues have been so skewed outside of the rational that yeah. I really believe that rational people who actually think about a lot of these hot button issues with any sense of values are going to come to agreements on a lot of them. Because yeah, if I say yeah. abortion, the yeah. left position is on demand. Yeah. Like we're all going to agree that's asinine. Right. Right. If, if, if you were, and, and this is true with, if, if, if I say, you know, redefining male and female and the left's view is that they don't exist. Yeah. Like what, what else are rational people <laughs> supposed to say? But I'll, be, uh, like I'll, I'll bet you that as, I'll give an issue where I think that we probably do have pretty significant disagreement. I know we do actually, is on uh, climate change. So mm -hmm. on climate change, I actually see no serious reason to doubt the idea that the world is getting warmer over the course of time and that human activity is responsible for at least a majority of that warming. I have significant majority, but some, I, yeah. I think at least 50%. I don't know that it's I don't know that it's, you know, 95%, but at least 50%. But my disagreement with the left comes when they start saying and the solution to that is to tax all of the developed countries so that all of the mm. developing countries can continue to pollute the earth right. to the extent that the climate yeah. continues to, to to warm. I know Jeremy is not a climate change fan, right? Yeah, he, I'm a skeptic. He, 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 you're a real skeptic. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure where, where I'm, you I'm guys a are on this skeptic. Issue. I mean, I do believe that there are always two questions with the left. The, the first thing is the issue, and the second thing is their solution, which is right. the government should take over everything. And I think that no socialist, no government solution is going to work here. It's going to be a technological solution. I'm not against some, some investment in that kind of solution, but basically I think some guy in a garage will invent a battery that can contain, <laughs> you know, wind, wind created. And there's even another the level of skepticism, which is skepticism not of the warming or cooling yeah. or not of the even the anthropogenic part, the man-made part, but of the catastrophic part. Of right, no, that, that's correct yeah. also. Because I, I am skeptical, I'm skeptical Oh, because, that, because you know, even, even the worst prediction is that it will take 10% off an economy that's going to grow something like 300, right. 400% right. in the time it will take to take 10% off. We can afford that's that. That's a good deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great deal. This so is that, the point that was made by William Nordhaus, who just won worst, the Nobel Prize in Economics. That is the worst mm -hmm. prediction of it. And, and most people think it's going to be more like 5%. So, you know, I'm just very skeptical of the, the, the sky if we can't If we can't accept that over the course of the next century. Yeah. Like, human ingenuity has been pretty good yeah. about, about fixing exactly. problems. Exactly. So, so if, if, if it costs us 5% of our economy in a, a time when the economy grows by 400%, and in the meantime, some clown invents a battery that's going to solve the problem, eh, you know, I'm just not yeah. that worried. You know? Yep. Uh, Alicia, I want to take one more question, and then uh, there's two last things that we have to talk about uh -oh. uh, before we can let people go for tonight, They're, but mostly because I made promises. 
you guys. And like Robert Frost's poem, which is now in the public domain, <laughs> promises to keep and miles to go before Miles to go. You know what that's about? It's about suicide. Alicia, <laughs> <laughs> share one last question with us from our Daily Wire subscribers. Do we have a Daily Wire suicide hotline? Yeah. So when I tell you we that I'm making Brussels Daily sprouts Wire, for yeah. dinner tonight, you don't try to burn your face off? With Brussels sprouts. <laughs> All right. I guess this question is for Ben and Michael. Ben Shapiro quotes on the Daily Wire subscriber page wants to know, do Ben and Knowles have a bet on whose book will sell the most copies? <laughs> and does that bet involve Knowles's maybe unemployment? Um, so we do not have a bet. I would not make that bet. The last bet I made with Knowles, I lost. Um, it was about the 2016 election. He's never let me forget it. Uh, I'll tell you what. I, I, would, uh, I would. I think this book, I read your book. Yeah. I'm, I'm not just saying this because you could defenestrate me right now from out the window. It's very good. Oh, it's you, really I good. It. I think it's going to sell a zillion copies. It's very important. It's better than all the other popular books that have come out recently. I really mean that. Oh, thank you. That's uh, why I don't know that it's going to sell 250,000 well, copies, right? Uh, so I, but I would still be willing to bet that my book sold more or will sell more if you give me odds again. Four to one. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, thank you. Thank you to our DailyWire.com subscribers. Uh, for all you do to keep uh, our, well, to keep us employed. Uh, the last two things I want to talk about uh, tonight, one of them is pretty important, and one of them is really just a hat tip to a loyal fan. Uh, it's New Year's. Everyone is making resolutions. They always do. I think people like us tend to kind of roll our eyes at New Year's resolutions on account of how most people don't keep them for very long. Mm. But there's, there's something aspirational and beautiful about a New Year's resolution. You know, a new year, which is, after all, an arbitrary day on a calendar, nevertheless gives people a sense of reset. It gives them the opportunity to reassess, uh, to start anew. And when people do reassess and start anew, there are some very predictable places in their lives where they try to make improvements. Uh, and so I thought it'd be a, a fun exercise if each of us talked about one of the sort of common New Year's resolutions and shared not a gimmick, not a, uh, not a scheme, we're not selling anything, we're not trying to set people up for false hope, but actually just share an actual piece of insight uh, or piece of wisdom that you've accumulated in your life that might help a person make substantive change in those areas mm. and not just fleeting, uh, fleeting change in those areas. So for me, my New Year's resolution, believe it or not, has been to disconnect a lot more from social media. Mm. It's driving it's my family resolution. up a wall. It's driving me up a wall. Yeah. Uh, when I went on vacation, it actually taught me a lesson. It was the first vacation I'd had in a couple of years where I actually did a pretty good job of disconnecting from social media, where I wasn't flipping through my phone or trying yeah. to keep up with the news. Part of that was because in the past, I've taken vacation during actual work times. Uh, this time, it was between Christmas and New Year's, so everybody was on vacation, so nothing was happening except the president <laughs> telling seven-year-olds that Santa doesn't exist. Um, so it, which, which, which I did text to each and every one of you with the, with the notation, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, but it, it's... But, it is true that social media makes you miserable. Uh, you know, I, I want people to be on social media to the extent they keep up with the news and they're informed. But the, the need for information, the feeling that your brain craves information, it really isn't craving the information. It's craving the feeling of scrolling your thumb. And, the, and you can get so much more done by just leaving your phone in the other room. Like, really, this is, the, this is my new thing. The way that I'm dealing with it is I, I have a prophylactic rule. Just like with, with Judaism, the prophylactic rule about not working is that you don't use electricity and you don't drive, you don't do all these things. One, the prophylactic rule for me is that when I get home at night, I take my phone, I plug it in in my room. It is away from me. It is not on my person. Uh, and that way, I'm not checking my phone all the time. And then I have a book at my disposal. And if nothing's yeah. happening, then I read the book. Because if, I, if all the hours that I spent on social media, I spent reading, 
I mean, I'm smart We'd now. We'd all be a lot poorer. I mean, come <laughs> on. So that's, there's my New Year's resolution. Yeah. That's, good. Good that's a very good one. Yeah. I have a New Year's resolution, which is to write a book with words. This is a very discreet New Year's resolution, and it's sort of funny, because I wrote- for you, dude. I know, I know, you know, I really felt, I, Bennett- I mean, I'm gonna like, warn you that it's really counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from yeah. I'm not gonna make it's any money, I'm gonna horrible. go, I know. But I, and I, the reason I bring this one up in particular is because it is, it is not grand, it is not open-ended. It's actually, you know, I mean, you've written a lot more books than I haven't written, and, uh, <laughs> but you know, it is a contained activity, and mm. I think a lot of times New Year's resolutions go wrong, because they're so open-ended. I'm gonna get healthier. I'm gonna read more. I'm gonna go to the gym. I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna eat better or something. And it's e really easy to lose that. But with a really discreet activity and project, you can fail. You can fail to do it or you can do it. And the clock is ticking. The movement watch is ticking and it's never gonna go backwards. And I think New Year's resolutions I've just found have, have always worked better when there's, when there's a time limit on them. And Dennis Prager says that the written word is the mirror of the mind, right? Yeah. That if if you if you want to become associated with your own thoughts, mm -hmm. organize them and write them down. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't reflect you, very well. Say, it's a good reason for you not to write a <laughs> yeah, book. That's <laughs> right. Th this book is going to say they're making the frogs here. They're making yeah. the frogs here. They're making the frogs <laughs> Well, I, first of all, I want to say that I think New Year's resolutions get a bad rap. I think the studies show that they actually do help people. Uh, that mm -hmm. you know, plenty of them go by the boards, but a plenty of them also stick. I have a very obscure New Year's resolution resolution, but it is a real one, because I don't usually make them at all. To live. But, what's that? To live. To live, that's yeah. That's, what, well, that's, that's, that's always reading. my resolution. Every day, that's my resolution. But, you know, last year, I read, reread a lot of Aristotle, I, who was, I was a big fan of, but I reread him as a Christian. And it, one of the things that Aristotle teaches is that virtue is a habit, and habits are formed mm -hmm. by repeated uh, exercise of those habits. And I'm so you tried to, out my religion. We've been begging <laughs> this for a really long time. No, I, I mean, I think, I think that uh, I want to pay a lot more attention to the uh, what one philosopher calls the liturgies in my life, the things that you go out mm. and do that have inherent in them an idea of what a better life is. If you go out trying to make money, for instance, then your idea is that that will give you a better life. And I'm all for making money and all this. Sure. It's, it's not about that. But I want to make sure that there is enough uh, habit in my life that focuses me on the things that I really care about, which are two things really. One of them is trying to tell the truth, and the other is trying to tell the truth in a beautiful way. And I just want to make sure that, that those are habits that I continue mm. uh, to pay attention to. It's not so much about doing them, it's doing them with a, very, with a conscious, uh, zen-like mind that I'm yeah. quite good at, and I want to make sure I do it more. That's fantastic. One of the things that I've thought about over the last couple of years, and it's because I've been a beneficiary of some wisdom that was shared with me, which I'll get to. Uh, I, I want to help people make more money. Mm. And I haven't, I haven't cracked the code on exactly how I'm going to do it, uh, other than I'm going to use some opportunities, for example, even on this show, uh, to make a point of talking about it, because we don't. People, people look in and and perhaps they think, you know, that three out of four of us are successful in life. Uh, <laughs> and it breeds a lot of, of problems in the human heart. Uh, it can re breed resentment towards people who you think are being successful. Uh, it can breed uh, a distorted view of the world where and social media contributes to this, where you think people are more successful than they are. Uh, and you think that, um, but, but one thing that I discovered in my life early on and that I've seen uh, with a lot of young people, in particular young religious people, mm -hmm. is that while they may uh, espouse a belief in, say, capitalism or uh, or incentive-based economics, um, in in 
sort of philosophical terms, in their own lives, they have shame about success and shame yeah, about making money yeah. and, and a fear of allowing themselves to prosper. And I suffered greatly from that uh, for most of my life. I, I worked as hard as anyone I knew. I would not accept pay for my work. Mm -hmm. And two people really spoke into my life at a very similar time about this. Uh, one of them is a, a friend of mine, Frank Brunner. Uh, and another one is Ben Shapiro, who came into my life around that time and said, why do you do all of these things for free? And the truth is, there was a reason. I, I didn't understand it about myself what the reason was. I came to understand over time that it was a kind of cowardice. That, that I took a lot of big risks, you know? I mean, I moved to LA from a small town. I was gonna be an actor, a writer, a producer, and I would take, I had opportunities to take capital from people and produce films, take capital from people and, and found companies, Declaration Entertainment, with our friend Bill Whittle, uh, uh, Spiral, the Arroyo with Jonathan Hay, others. Um, or I had the opportunity to, to step in and help run this organization of conservative Hollywoods, many thousands of people. And uh, it was always on very financially tenuous uh, footing. And so I didn't take any money for running that organization. Right. The funny thing is, if you look back across that same period of time, millions of dollars went through my hands and I paid out salaries to other people. So when I was running that organization of that nonprofit of, of, uh, of Hollywood conservatives, I was paying staff, but I didn't pay myself. When I was running, doing the Arroyo, uh, I was making sure that the, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but every person uh, got their check every day. When we were running Declaration Entertainment, I made sure that Bill Whittle was making a good living and that Jonathan Hay was making a good living. Nowhere in there was I rewarding Jeremy. And when I say not at all, I mean not at all. And I came to see it's because I, I had a fear of uh, being kind of found out. That if I, if I paid myself and the project failed, that I would sort of be revealed as some sort of fraud. But if I didn't pay myself and the project failed, no one could accuse me mm -hmm. of having had bad motives. No one could accuse me uh, of, having, uh, of it having failed on the basis of, of you know, me having my, my hand in the, in the, in the cookie, cookie jar. jar. But of course, the opposite was true. Many of those companies may well have succeeded had I tied my economic future to them. Right. Had I had skin in the game, then I would have had incentive to have worked even, and I, I worked hard. I don't want you to think that mm -hmm. I was phoning it in. But I wasn't phoning it in as though my economic life depended on it because mm -hmm. my economic life did not depend on it. And, and Ben uh, used the very colorful analogy that uh, my problem wasn't uh, lack of uh, urine, it was the direction in which I peed. <laughs> when a good wind is blowing, you do well to turn the other way. And, and of course, that was right, that I, I had plenty of effort, but I wasn't putting my effort uh, in the right directions. I wasn't letting these values that I espouse of free markets and incentives actually apply to my own life, that I thought that I was somehow morally above my own ideas mm. of what would work for other people. And I, I, I talked to young Christians in particular, young conservatives, and I find that so many people have similar mm. issues where they, they think they're too good for, for their actual uh, worldview. And you shouldn't be, because having not had very much money and having had more money, having more money is better. <laughs> money doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't solve all of your problems. Um, but growing up in a small town, uh, growing up middle class, much more blessed and, 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 uh, than many of the people around me, nevertheless, knew a lot of economic struggle uh, in my life and witnessed far more around me economic struggle. And economic struggle 
does wear on the soul uh, of it's a not, man. It sure does. It yeah. makes it you have a you have a responsibility to yourself to reward to make sure that you are getting reward for your work. You have a responsibility to your family to make sure that you're being rewarded appropriately uh, for your work. So I, I want to find ways to help people see past uh, this particular fear, the fear of allowing themselves to succeed. It manifests in non-economic ways too, mm -hmm. uh, of course. But I want people to allow themselves uh, to have the successes in life that they should, that will make their lives better, their family's lives better, their, their church's life better, their society's life better, and, and find ways to give practical advice to that, but also sort of this high-level philosophical advice. So basically, well. if three of us keep our New Year's resolutions and one of us doesn't, it'll be a better world. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it is the 127th birthday of J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien and our... Man, he's uh, old. He is one he's old, an old dude. man. What's yeah. his secret? <laughs> he's still working at the top of his game, though, I gotta say. <laughs> Beloved by... 99.99999% yeah. of religious people in mm -hmm. the West, beloved by 99.99999% of conservative people in the West. Especially the especially Catholics, by the way. Especially 99.999999% <laughs> of Catholics. The one exception, Michael Knowles. Michael Knowles. Why you gotta hate? I am... This is one of these issues where I don't like Tolkien. I've tried to read... All of the books I tried when I was a little kid. I tried to read The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. I tried. I said, "Okay, I can't. I don't like the books. I'll go to the movies." I went to the movie. I walked out of the movie. Oof. I got so bored because they were in the damn woods for like three hours, and I just get me out of the woods. I can't. And yet, I know. Look, I know. I'm actually going to admit. I know that I'm holding a wrong opinion. I know. I keep tr every year. I try to convince myself to like Tolkien. Can't do it. Ben. Level this guy. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> this was the moment. Yeah. Why, why Tolkien? Well, I mean, if you actually read the Lord of the Rings books, he has a very clear vision of good and evil that is, I think, fundamental to understanding of, number one, all fantasy literature, but also uh, in an understanding of, of world building and rule setting that, that is kind of transformative in, in literary history. Mostly the reason that conservatives, I think, are, are very fond of, of Tolkien. And I'll, I'll admit, I'm, I'm a rube when it comes to Tolkien. I'm not a Tolkien scholar. Yeah, uh, I'm also a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so much of a rube that I like the movies better than I like the books. I, I like The Hobbit. I think, that, I think that the long passages of poetry in Lord of the Rings are nearly unreadable. I'm, um, I'm with you. And, and I think that the, and I think that the, the ending <laughs> of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the books is significantly worse than the ending of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the movie. And I'm not talking about one of the nine endings of the Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> in the movies. The, but the reason is because the very idea that there is a West that is worth upholding is, yeah. is embodied in the nature of mm -hmm. Tolkien's writing and in the Lord of the Rings trilogy particularly, the idea that there is something worth fighting for, that there are people who do not believe in these same principles and that there are real things that divide people. Uh, and this doesn't mean that everybody who disagrees with you is an orc or a monster, but it does mean that to pretend that there aren't people with monstrous ideas in the world who are fundamentally seduced by power itself uh, is is a is a great misnomer. I mean, that's the real. Obviously, that's the great revelation of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Is that the real bad guy doesn't exist out there. The real bad guy exists yeah. in here. That's why the best mo the best moment in in all of Lord of the Rings is spoiler alert for people who haven't read the books or seen the movies. 
is when the, the ring actually seduces Frodo because you've actually been waiting. I remember seeing it in the theater and I deliberately held off from reading the books until I could see yeah. it in the theaters because I, I didn't know it was coming and I kept myself shut off so I didn't know what the ending was going to be. And you, you go for three movies with this entirely long journey with these huge battle sequences and you think that you are rooting all three movies for Frodo to, throw, to toss the ring in the fire. That's what you think you're waiting for. And then Frodo doesn't, right? The ring seduces Frodo. And it's so satisfying as a viewer be, and, and as a reader because what you realize is that what you actually you haven't been waiting for him to toss the ring in the fire because that would have been anticlimactic if you just walked in and threw the ring in the fire then when you're waiting for him to be seduced by the ring to remind you that the ring actually is powerful that the ring actually means something and that notion that power is seductive and that you're thinking that you can wield the power then if if only you had the power then you'd be able to fix the world that if you if, if you were given the ring and you had the ability to be invisible and sneak around and do what you want and control other people, that you'd you'd make a utopia out of it? No, you wouldn't. You'd be just like Sauron, right? We're uh, yeah. deep down, we are all Sauron unless we give up the ring. Really, not just to not just generally, but we give up the ring to the idea that there is a plan in the universe that is beyond any of us, and that we're going to have to let go at a certain point because faith exists in letting yeah. go. Right. It's interesting that you bring up the orcs because. Uh, the orcs are like the instruments of evil in the Lord of the Rings, but they're, but all of the truly sinister characters aren't orcs at That's all. That's right. They're all people, or, or elves, or you know, humanoids. Human. They're they're, they're all people. Right. And uh, they're people who've been uh, seduced by either uh, the power that they have or the power that they don't. And one of the things I love about the Lord of the Rings is that I kept waiting to see, because like you, I had not read the books when I first saw the films. I kept waiting for the reveal of what the power of this ring was other than making you inv invisible. And you really never see anything. So what is the great power of the ring? It's actually a very subtle idea. And it's just that you would be hidden from man and God. That it, it kind of goes back to our previous conversation that you could that you could function in this world apart, wholly apart from judgment, wholly yeah. apart from consequence, wholly apart from... Uh, the perspectives of other people, and that that really lies at the heart. It's such a uh, an ins an insight by Tolkien of what lies at the heart of almost all true evil, even even you know the evil within. It's it's the the belief that we could be apart from God, who sees all, but who who then wouldn't see you. And I think one of the things that I find really fascinating is that if you watch uh, Game of Thrones, which is a wonderful TV show which makes no moral sense yep. at its mm -hmm. basis, George R. R. Martin is an atheist, and all throughout uh, mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, there are religions, and the religions always turn out to be frauds or fake, but, but the effect of religion is always there. People come back from the dead, and he said, where were you? I was nowhere. It makes yep. no sense whatsoever. There's no religion in Tolkien. There's no religion in Lord of the Rings because Tolkien understood what Shakespeare understood, which is that the Christian religion, or the I'll even say the Judeo-Christian religion, it simply is the world. It is the way yeah. the world yeah. is. And so Tolkien never has to mention God. He never has to show anybody pray. It's simply the way the world works is the way the, the Judeo-Christian vision says it works. And Shakespeare understood exactly the same thing. People always say, Shakespeare's a secular writer. If he is, I'll be damned. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he's not. Everything that happens, bend, there is a moral arc. You bend that moral arc, 
there were consequences. Yeah. And, and Tolkien understood it, and that's what makes that book so powerful. Even though I agree with you, it's overwritten, it's overimagined. The movies work on a dramatic level far better. But even so, you know you are in the midst of a vision of the world mm. that has been handed down to this guy from, for 2,000 years, and he gets it. He understands it, and he sees the world in those terms, and that makes it a brilliant book. But Michael Knowles doesn't get it. You, you know, it's, this conversation <laughs> is reminding me that I love essays about <laughs> Tolkien. I love that. I can't get into the elves and all. I can't get into it. Uh, it's it's those long conference scenes where they talk for... I mean, please. <laughs> yeah. I know. He's a sad, sad man, Michael. <laughs> That's it for the Daily Wire backstage, our first episode of 2019. We will be back on January 29th. It was actually announced in real time while we were on the show for President Donald Trump's State of the Union address to the Joint Session of Congress. Uh, we will bring you all of our blistering <laughs> rage, rage, rage. rage. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you there. Come visit us in the meantime over at dailywire.com. Thanks to all of our subscribers and to everybody who, you know, made it this far. Fake laugh in three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>